Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and digital production. Our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And we don't often get all the top level, quote unquote, top level graphics in one place, except for American football. So um, so we get to see like what happens when you have all the money. <laughs> to spend on it and how different networks uh, uh, decide to play with that. Um, so we're going to kind of bounce around through a couple captures of some of the stuff. It's probably important to watch it live because I don't know how much YouTube will let us keep it up. <laughs> so anyway, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about NBC, ABC, and Fox um, uh, and how they how they handled that. So let's uh, we'll t- stay tuned for that. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Um, uh, uh, Mitch, what do we got? Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Uh, Andy Kokendorfer is our first question. Andy's from Vera, Florida, by the way. What would you suggest for installed ceiling mics? Are they Dante-enabled? Thanks. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jason. Um, I wish they sounded better than they did. I've yet to find a pair that don't sound like an audiophile-grade speakerphone. Uh, that said, sure are Dante-enabled, and they are the best. Yeah, there is an array that you can... Um I'm just trying to, I was trying to find it here, uh, but the, um, there's an array that's used, the only time I've seen it is in Pac-12, uh, the press room for, for Pac-12 in San Francisco. And it is basically, I don't know, 50 or 60 of these hanging mics so that anybody sitting there can sit there and just simply, you know, start talking. Um, but, I, but I think that, and that's the only time, and it's really not designed for broadcast, it's just designed that people can hear it. I mean, it is designed to broadcast, but it just means everyone, no one has to raise their voice. I think it's a very expensive solution. <laughs> I think it's probably a hundred thousand dollars solution. Uh, once you drop below that, I have, I agree with Jason. Um, ceiling mics almost never work well. I mean, it just it's okay if you're just doing kind of a wonky, you know, we can kind of hear you talk kind of thing. But they tend to be very roomy. Um, I haven't heard any arrays that I would want to listen to. Uh, so I think that that's the. I mean, I I haven't heard a any arrays that i mean i think the sennheiser and sure makes some that might work um in those areas we haven't tested them enough to to do them but every every time i've seen these um in uh in the real world i haven't haven't uh, been impressed um next question chris widener from lafayette indiana asking has anyone checked out socialstream.ninja for chat integration um, chat integration. So this is a socialstream.ninja is a place for you to manage your live streams and, and all your inputs. Now, I'd be interested to see, you know, uh, when they talk about this, whether they're supporting and the, and the answer is not YouTube. I don't think, I don't think that they're supporting YouTube, which is the one that you think you'd want the most. Um, so uh, YouTube is very hard to support because of the token system that's being used by, um, by them. So um, that's, that's kind of the difficulty there. I haven't tested it yet. Um, but what it does look like is it gives you the ability to kind of grab onto those comments. Uh, I will be honest that I think that integrating live comments without moderation into a live stream is a is not a good idea. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you want to take things that you want to, and this might have more moderation tools um, in it, but it doesn't look like the moderation tools are super well developed yet. And it looks like, hey, you can put this up, you can put this stuff up there. And I'm not sure that that's what I would recommend. Next question. 
Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. What is the most effective method to install audience mics for a classroom? Assume audience size of 100. Mics must be installed, not wireless, and passed around during question and answer with the professor on Zoom. Thanks. Good, Bill. Well, we talked a little bit about this this problem in the first question, and it's it's always going to be a problem because of physics. And for those of you who have paid any attention to audio, you know that it relates to the inverse square principle, which we've talked about here on the show a good little bit. But basically, that tells you that if a good sounding mic, let's say uh, the mic that I'm using, which is roughly a foot from my mouth, is picking up my voice at a certain level, if you move that mic to 10 feet away from me, and most ceiling-mounted mics in classrooms are that kind of distance away, that lowers the sound pressure level hitting the diaphragm and the microphone by a factor of 100, right? It's not one, it's it's 10 feet and 10 squared is 100. So if somebody coughs three rows away from you and they happen to be five feet away from that mic in the ceiling as opposed to the person you're trying to hear, they're only going to be 25 times quieter than they would be if the mic was a foot from them. And so they're going to be much louder than the person you're trying to listen to in the audience who's suppressed by a hundred times. It's purely physics. So uh, what Alex was talking about, you know, somebody, they're trying to put lots and lots and lots of microphones in a room so that you can get a mic as close as possible, but you're probably always going to be four to six feet above if you're doing ceiling mounted mics. The, the, Amplitude of those mics are going to be much lower than they would be if you had something in their hand and they were talking to it. And you just can't beat the physics of this. A lot of people have tried, which is why everybody hopes that the that the uh, designers can come up with something. But mics just don't work. You know, we hear a shotgun mic. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't reach out and grab it. It has to wait for the sound to hit the diaphragm and the mic. And distance is everything when you're playing that game. Yeah, I mean, some of the things that you can do again, again, some of the arrays that you that Sennheiser and and uh, Shore and a couple other folks build, you might be able to put into those arrays, and those arrays can kind of uh, do beam forming and and figure out kind of where it is. If you're not doing it for broadcast, I mean, just to make sure that the the, the professor can hear it um, is is a uh, you know might it might be uh, uh, might be okay. I mean, the big problem we have with classrooms and and I've worked, you know, I've done a lot of remotes where I'm coming in over Zoom or Meet or many other Skype, and I'm in a, I'm ca- talking to people in the classroom and uh, and and doing a, doing a talk and doing some demos and so on and so forth. And the real challenge is is that uh, as those mics move away, it's just really hard for me to understand what people are saying. So I spend most of my energy as a teacher trying to figure out <laughs> what they're saying, not thinking about what the answer is or 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 think about the actual content i'm just trying to find the words that that are coming out of their mouth and so you really have to what i would say is whatever you do you want to be very very conscious of of that um as you're as you're looking at it the 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 thing is is that yeah so i i think that that's that's what you want really want to think about the 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 real way to handle classrooms if you want to make them remote is to treat the classroom so that that means soft walls carpets acoustic um acoustic tiles on the on the ceiling do all those things and that's that's what everybody should be doing for conference rooms and classrooms and everything else is to really treat them so that they are acoustically um, viable 
then you can possibly make an array work or you can, you know, again, I, when we install mics, we just put SM58s in the rows. <laughs> you know, like here, walk over there if you want to ask a question. If you, if you don't want to pass them around, um, you, you get people to walk over to it. Um, I would also highly recommend, uh, you know, something, uh, some kind of question management system, you know, open, you know, I know we all love open mics and speakers. Once you get to 100 people, open, open you know, kind of an open mic situation uh is just really you know people aren't very good at forming their sentences <laughs> so, so when they're when they're talking um and they and they'll talk for five minutes about things that no one cares about and then ask a question that only they are interested in um that's like 95 percent. you get that one magic moment and then everyone goes well we don't have that magic moment and i'm like okay well there's nine there's nine out of ten of those or 95 out of 100 of those that were not magic moments they were boring and droning and um and so that's what the text fixes uh and then you can what what i would recommend is thinking about text with microphones in a couple places if the if the if the, if the professor needs more information then just have them go to the mic rather than having every question come in from the mic. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, Alex covered just about everything I was going to say. And acoustics are a big part of that. And a phase steered microphone in a classroom the size of 100 is a pretty good sized classroom. And if it's a tiered classroom like college classrooms are where the students go up the side of the wall, basically, uh, on tiers, different tiers, the acoustics are arranged to, to send sound from the front of the hall to the back, not back to the front so the acoustics are normally trained in the opposite direction so are designed for the opposite direction uh, so you're fighting up upstream when you're trying to hear the students back to the front uh, you could try a phase array but uh, with that many people that spread out i think uh, alex said the put a sm58 on a stalk in the aisleways and have them get up and come to it if they have to respond yeah, you're just getting at 100 people, you're getting to a point where a lot of the stuff that you would think is automatic doesn't really work that well. It might work well enough. I mean, so you the, the only thing you can do is test it, you know, um, and, and figure it out. Dan, Dan Huber does a bunch of this stuff, I think, in a Penn State extension or... Sorry, Dan, if I said the wrong thing, if it's not Penn State, but, but, um, but he, he, uh, and he may be a person to, to, to talk to on Discord, um, because I know that he's been trying to figure out that for a couple of years during COVID and then coming out of COVID, uh, building those hybrid classrooms. So um, you might want to check, check in with him and see if he's available on Discord. Uh, next question. From Patrick Shones in Little Rock, Arkansas, I've got an A10 Mini Extreme ISO and a Black Magic, Black Magic Design Studio 4K Pro camera in my studio. Recently, all tally and camera control unit functions stopped working. I've factory reset the A10, double-checked all patches that are, that are correct. Nothing. Any ideas from the Brain Trust? Go ahead, Jason. Well, it depends on what you mean by patches. If by patches you mean cables, I would check that um, my converter is up to date. Um, 7.6.2 dropped on December the 7th, and that may fix your problem. If not, I would go as far as um, thinking about just replacing that um, bidirectional converter and then take it up with Blackmagic. I don't think that... Yeah, yeah I'm curious as to whether you are doing... It, it, I'm not sure if you're using a bidirectional or whether that ATEM is SDI. So um, I... I you know, I, I do think that the, it, it might be in the, uh, let's see, cameras. If all of them failed, though, it seems like a... Could be the yeah. camera number, too, I guess. It could be a camera number. Um, yeah, so I would check the camera numbers. I'd be curious about what the 
what the cable lengths are, you know, to see if they're, if that, um, that might be an issue. And yeah, but it is odd that all of them failed, um, at the same time and that they were working before. Go ahead, Mitchell. Don't the uh, converters need to be bi-directional because of the uh, information going back and forth? And if they're not properly well, powered, I, I, I think I think that he he had a working system that stopped working. I think that's the issue: is that all of the stuff was. I'm assuming that all of the stuff was working before. So it recently, all the tally and CCU functions stopped working. Um, that's an odd thing to happen uh, all at one time. You know, it seems I would lean towards the the ISO having some issue, you know, because if all the cameras are stopping to work, you know, if one camera was stopping, it might be the camera, it might be the mi micro converter. But if the, if all of them have stopped, something's changed in the state inside of the, inside of the ATEM. So I think that's probably a call about black. I think that's, I, I don't have an answer for it. I think it's probably a call black magic thing. Next question. Next question coming in from Ari Block in Tel Aviv, Israel. Will the Flow 8 have enough gain for the SM7B without a cloud lifter? I seem to recall it was at its limit for the PR40. I don't know if we have anyone here with a Flow 8 um, to, to, to test that. Um, yeah, I think that it was. Um, the. I find that the SM7B has less gain than the PR40. So if the PR40 was at the edge, the SM7B will be more at the edge. But I'm not... 100% certain. I don't know if anyone in our event chat have, uh, are Flow 8 users that could uh, give us some, some input there. We're kind of going out and, and reaching out to our, uh, what do they call it? The second <laughs> you could reach out during uh, the, the, the question and answer thing on a, on a game show, but no, no one has an answer. But I think that um, maybe someone can look at the numbers, but I think that it would be, if, if, the, if the PR40 is on the edge, then the SM7B will be over that edge. Um, so we should definitely check that out. Next question. And Shaw, Columbus, uh, Ohio, any recommendations to prevent audio drift when recording Zoom calls via ScreenFlow on a Mac? Due to presumably different clock speeds, my local recorded audio slowly drifts away from the recorded video on Zoom. Any easy way to fix? Go, Jesse. I'm going to give you two suggestions on how to deal with this. The first is difficult but cheap. The second is expensive but easy. So the first thing you can do is clap at the top and at the end of any recording. And then you can see how much it drifts because you sync up to that first clap. And then you'll see how far off the second clap is. And you can... Um, you can calculate the percentage of drift based on that. I would recommend doing that over several recordings, several longer recordings, because this might be related to your CPU usage. The more that you're using your CPU to process information instead of uh, just recording what's happening, um, the, the more the drift might be affected. Uh, that's the that's the difficult but cheap way. The expensive way is to offboard all recording to dedicated devices. So get an audio recorder just for recording the sound, and get a video recorder just for recording the video. Don't rely on um, internal or cloud components for recording multiple streams that you expect to sync later. Record them on dedicated devices. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was going to suggest the same thing. Get you a. a like a game recorder, AV recorder, just put it in line with the HDMI and make sure your camera and audio are in sync going into that. And uh, the recording will be in sync in that uh, H.264. You won't have to sync them up in post. The The other problem that you're dealing with is, is since video is going over and being recorded uh, by Zoom, there can be, uh, you know, frame dropouts. Uh, it can drop frames. If it drops frames, it'll, it'll slip out of sync. So you have that to deal with as well. Go ahead, Bill. 
I just looked it up from the last question. It looks like that SM7B has a negative 59 dB uh, output level. So I would think a cloud lifter would be a good friend to you right there. I, but I would try to just find something that didn't require a cloud lifter. It's kind of a piece of junk. So you see, you don't, you don't want to really put cloud lifters into your pipeline if you don't have to. Um, the um, uh, to go back to to this, yeah, I you know, so if you're if the, the screen flow is really powerful because you can record a lot, you can record your mouse separately and your keystrokes, and so if you're doing all that kind of thing, screen screen flow is really useful. But recording straight video, I agree that finding an external one, and, and you could even do things like a zoom, um, or not not a uh, uh, you could use an ISO, you know, like an ATEM ISO, you know, the little one, and then you could record that out. You could use Courtney's tool. I What I use, I just used it last night because uh, YouTube finally closed the loop. There was a loop. <laughs> there was a little, little loophole uh, with YouTube TV that you could just screen capture Chrome. And uh, I, I realized that last night while I was getting ready for the show today that they took that loophole out. <laughs> so now if you hit screen capture it just turns black uh and so um i put a uh, i had to dig out a pix 240 and um i just looped the hdmi through it and it works it works just fine <laughs> so so anyway so 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 that's the um to, to to grab the stuff that we needed so um anyway so the uh, you know, using a hardware recorder that has the embedded audio is going to be your best best solution as far as keeping that in sync. The drop frames shouldn't be a problem uh, to keep it in sync because it'll recorrect itself, um, you know, on the way out, you know, but, uh, you know, like it's it's dropping the frames, but it's so it stays in time. Um, so it shouldn't be a problem there. If it's drifting at a very predictable rate, it could be something in the, if it's if it is actually recording two separate files, um, it could be ones in 2997, the other ones in 30 or something like that. And that can also, that'll slow, that'll slip a couple frames a second. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, once again, the PIX240 to the rescue. Um, I just wanted to comment on the, uh, using the cloud lifter. I don't think it's so much that it's a bad piece of equipment. It's bad application because a, it brings up the noise floor along with everything else. And that's the problem with using it. It's a bad piece of equipment. <laughs> like it's it's it should not be in your pipeline. No one no one should use a cloud lifter in production. Like it's it's not it's not a it's it's a cheap it's a cheap electronics that you're putting into into your your main input. Like like that's your preamp. You know like that a cloud lifter becomes your preamp, and now you're spending no money on a preamp and and pushing it through. It's a horrible idea. So um, next never question. mind. No, next next question. Next question in from Ari Block in Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, I'm in the market for a few smallish. RGB video lights for background lighting of personal setup. I currently use the Pixel G1s, but it has no app control. Suggestions? Good, Mitchell. I've got the Elgato right behind me, and um, it does have a uh, app control. You can sit there and turn the volume up and down, not volume, uh, the uh, level up and down, and do all kinds of fun stuff. And most importantly, it plays nice with uh, your TV cameras. Good, Courtney. I'm just using the FEIT uh, color change bulbs, RGBW. They look like a regular LED bulb. They plug in their Wi-Fi controllable. They come with an app. You can control the color and the brightness from the app, and they seem to work fine. They also work with the uh, uh, Alexa and Google Home, so you can just give them commands to change color or go brighter or dimmer. Yeah, uh, the Aperture 7Cs also work really, really well. That's what I take to hotels with me. <laughs> I just screw those in. I was using the Hues, but when I turned them down, I started to see a little bit of rolling. Um, and that's what you want to do. As soon as you buy them, whatever you're going to buy, turn it down to its lowest setting and see if you see any rolling. Because what it does is it it 
it oftentimes just slows the LED down so that it can um, to be dimmer and it'll go under your frame rate. And so you want to look at, uh, you know, you, you want to take a look at that. And so put an LED, if you buy one within the return time that you have there, uh, put it in, turn it all the way down, bring it up just a little bit and see if you're seeing any kind of uh, rolling uh, or any kind of any kind of flickering. And then you'll know whether that, and most consumer ones, that's going to be a problem. But I think I haven't seen that with the Aperture 7C because it's more of a production. It's designed to go in and be an RGB inside it for production. So um, found had a little more luck with that. The other thing that I use for for mine are the 6Cs. Now the 6C, this makes it confusing. Aperture makes the 7C, but uh, Nanlite makes the 6C. Um, and the 6Cs are the ones that I travel with. Um, so the Nanlite 6Cs are one, the ones I travel with um, uh, as well. <laughs> the 7Cs go into the fixtures. The 6Cs I just lay on the ground and I use them to light myself. So um, they're a little bar and I, I don't have one within arm's reach. They're, they're back there somewhere. Um, the, uh, but the, the 6Cs are, are the ones that I use there and I put them on two little stands on either side of me. I throw two on the ground and then I, I sync them up with the, the seven Z's uh, to make that work. Uh, next question. Next one in from Kazmu Kajar in Cape Town, South Africa. Attached two stream decks to my M1 Mac Mini using the companion Elgato plugin and companion settings. How do I control the SD independently? Any action on companion buttons on Stream Deck 1 mirrors on the SD2? Now go ahead, Jason. After you plug in the second one, you need to redetect the um, USB, and it'll scan the USB bus and see them as two separate things, and then you'll be done. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking, thoughts on the new paid version of ChatGPT? Go ahead, John. I haven't seen the official announcement yet. I've seen all the speculation that people are are quoting $42 a month. Uh, but it's it's going to be integrated into all the Microsoft applications soon, and it's going to be interesting to see how they roll that model out. So have it, having it right in Word and PowerPoint and Outlook to write your prose generatively is, is going to be interesting. But yeah, Sam Altman, the CEO, said that they will start charging for it eventually. Yeah, go ahead, Sky. I'm looking at all of this as investment in the future because it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And for me as a early adopter, I often have to, you know, spend a little bit right now, but that it's a subscription. That's actually kind of a good thing because I've dumped a lot of money in things that never went anywhere. So uh, it's, it, it's a tool that is going to be a part of our future. Go ahead, Jesse. I see a lot of parallels between the mass adoption of AI and the mass adoption of social media. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we made with the mass adoption of social media was believing the sales pitch that uh, these tools were free. And I am so glad to see that with AI, there are costs, uh, upfront costs associated with, with the use of the tool sets. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was curious whether that was that price was for a consumer or for someone who wanted to integrate chat GPT into a commercial product. Um, that is a pretty high monthly rate for just a consumer that um, was mentioned by John. I'm not sure as Microsoft has just uh, done a big investment in chat GPT or open AI. Uh, it remains to be seen. I tried to get on yesterday and couldn't even get in. Uh, so the servers were so overloaded and I don't know if it's still up yet. It was, uh, I tried many, many times over the course of about two hours and could not uh, even log in. So uh, it's getting a lot of attention right now. Go John. So the, so the prices for the API are published all the way from four one hundredths of a penny for the low end model, all the way up to, to two cents for the high end model DaVinci. So those are 
those are published today. They've been published there for for uh, a while up on their site, and it's expensive. If you do the math, it's if you use DaVinci, it's really expensive. Yeah, I I, uh, I have to admit that that you know I go up to ChatGPT a lot. I mean, I usually have a window open that I'm playing with, and about half the time I can't get anything because it's it's overcrowded. Uh, and so it's it's a lot of fun when it works. I, I'm slowly mapping the times that make the most sense to to do Jet, Chat GPT because I'm starting to notice some patterns of when people are using them and so on and so forth. But the uh, I, you know I think that you know I'm one of those people that wants the Wi-Fi at the hotel to be thirty five dollars a night because I want it to actually work. You know, so I want I just I you know I, I want it to be I don't want it to, when I say free Wi-Fi I know that I'm not going to get anything that actually is production ready so uh, so I'm I'm all for them charging for it um, and you know and I think that they'll probably still have a free version but it'll probably stay crowded because um, it'll be one of those things that that is it's hard to support I mean it's just you can't keep on doing all this stuff and and you know at some point someone's got to pay for it <laughs> you know, so so like it has to get paid for and I, I would rather them i pay for mid-journey and it's probably one of my more enjoyable subscriptions in fact if i was going to give up subscriptions i'd probably kill a bunch of my uh um uh, my, my streaming connections before i killed mid-journey <laughs> you know so so i you know i, I think that it, i get more enjoyment out of mid-journey than probably at least netflix and disney plus <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah go ahead courtney yeah, I was thinking maybe they priced it that high to keep students from using it on their term papers. Uh, you know, they didn't want to plop down thirty-five bucks just to log <laughs> in, and and so it's like surge pricing at Disneyland. You know, they use the uh, the price as a deterrent to misuse. Maybe, maybe that that, that could be the case as well. Uh, it, it's it's a pretty amazing thing, though. I mean, I I I love playing with it. I have to admit, I, I ask it to do all kinds of things. I I asked it to um like I was thinking about a party, and I. Um, we, we were talking, Kevin and I were talking about doing a, a Star Trek, like if you're doing a Star Trek dinner or something like that, we were, think, we were thinking about fortune cookies and that were Star Trek oriented. So just to ask ChatGPT, give me 20 fortune cookies that are, you know, based on Star Trek. And it'll give you these incredible, like, and we did it on Star Wars. We did it, we did it as a Romulan. Like, like we said, give me, you know, 20 fortune cookies for Romulans. And, and it just gave us these incredible Romulans. And then you went to Klingon and then we went to, you know, like it was like, it was, it was so much fun. And I think that people who get worried about it, um, are not paying attention to how amazing it is to do. Forget that, that this are, is a creative thing. That's it's awesome. Just, yeah. It's, you know, like I, we were, um, uh, you know, the, <laughs> I know I'm not going to show you the, I mean, I won't bore you with the images, but, but we were, um, uh, someone that I worked with just got promoted to a head of something. And, and I just said he was the grand poobah, you know, of, of these things. And then I just went to mid journey. I said, grand poobah in his throne room, holding a scepter, you know, and I, I, I just drew it all up and it created this really funny picture and I sent it to him and it's just, it was a, you know, I just really, um, really, in, it's, it's just so much fun, you know, and I know that, It'll probably do a lot of horrible things, but we should enjoy it while, while it's still fun and we don't know how bad it can get. Next question. Michael Patra from Poland asking, what is the best way to create live captions at a streaming conference? Maybe delay of stream is the solution. Any advice? Go ahead, Doug. So we used a, a service called EEG Falcon or Falcon by EEG. It's a where you send your stream to them, they do the captioning, and then they send the stream back out. Um, I don't know if it's the best, but I know that that is what we've used in the past. 
Yeah, a lot of people use Falcon, and so Falcon is a is a is a solid solution. It's it's a uh, it was it existed pre existed the merger between AI Media and EEG. EEG has been the standard pretty much for the last I don't know ten or fifteen years in the United States, and so they are the ones that build all the hardware that a lot of us have used. And so the EEG four ninety two is the current I think the current hardware that you can get, and that the the four ninety two is a piece of hardware. It's a one U piece of hardware. Before that was the four ninety one, as you know. <laughs> so anyway, four ninety two adds a couple of things, three G and a couple other things. Um, and basically what happens is, is on, in the 492 or, or any of the EEG models that are in that similar vein, the, you pass your SDI through it and then you, uh, it, what it does is you can have a stenographer who is typing away and they can be connected directly to that EEG and they can, if, this is if you don't have a way to do this remotely, like what Doug's doing, they can, they can be typing away in their stenog- in stenographer and it will insert their captions into the line 21, the bank data inside of that, inside of the, in, in the SDI signal. So then it's embedded. And if your stream supports 608, 708, it'll go out and you can make some basic definitions. Most of those definitions are defined by the stenographer, um, but the, you can have those there. Um, and so that's the, that's a, and that's a, I think it's like a 7,000, $5,000 or $7,000 box, but it will do it and it will insert it. And if the stenographer is remote, you can use a service called ICAP inside of that, and it and ICAP is um, capable then of um, the ICAP setting is capable of having the the stenographer listen to it. It'll actually pass audio to them, and they can type in. And it'll come back and and send it and, and reinsert it again. So that's one way that you can have this your your captionist local or or remote. Um, then, and that's, that's if you really have a closed system and you really want it to work. Um, you can also, the ICAP will attach to the Falcon. I think it's the Falcon technology. It's either Falcon or AI media and do exactly what Doug's doing. So it'll reinsert it locally to make that actually, um, run there to make that work. Uh, or you can use Falcon. The, the, the thing with Falcon is you have to, I, I can't use Falcon on my stuff because I'm passing it through that and. I need to create sometimes lots of ladders. And so it would be difficult to pass it through effectively. I'd have to, it'd be more cumbersome for what we do. Um, but you can stream it through Falcon and have it do exactly what Doug, Doug discussed there. The other thing that EEG has, which is kind of cool, is a little app, web app, or not, it's not a web, I don't know if it's a web app or it's an app app that will take that captioning and put it on the phone. <laughs> so, and so you can make it available. I think it's like $2,700 per year per language, but you can actually have it. So that way everybody in the room can get the captioning. If they want to open it up on their, on their phone and look down if they're, you know, that way you can make a couple different languages. You can do all those things and that, that works as well for translation. So a lot of options. We had EEG on um, a couple, maybe a year ago, probably ought to bring it on again to answer questions like this. But, uh, but those are, those are some of the options. It's, it's a pretty, uh, it, the problem with captions is they will become, we always joke that they're like 1% of the audience and 90% of the work. Uh, once you start adding captions, your entire pipeline really becomes obsessed with them. You have to figure out how you're going to do all this and how you're going to get it. And you feel like all your energy goes into captions. But the, but the return now is getting higher and higher and higher. In addition to making it more accessible, there's a lot of people that want to see the captions before they turn the audio on. So from a marketing perspective, it's worth adding the captions. Um, and it's just the right thing to do to, you know, for a lot of people to, to be able to see it. So it, even though it's a lot of work, um, definitely highly recommend it. Now, next question. Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York, asking, any way to ensure people update Zoom 
to the latest client to make sure everyone can see the question and answer feature when I need to get either Zoom ISO or Zoom OSC in the meeting. Any way to sneak either product past the forced client update? Wait, I, I thought that any way to sneak either product. I'm it appears clear. he's looking to get his clients to update Zoom kind of by force. Yeah, so you can do that. <laughs> so what you do, and you'll see us do it. I, I usually wait just a little bit. So the, there was a bunch of new features that were that were dropped. I usually wait a little bit, but you'll see us um, probably at the end of this week or next week, we'll turn, a, turn up the dial on our system, which means that all the meetings created um, by uh, office hours will be, will require you to update. <laughs> so you can set that in your user, in your admin settings that just say, you can't enter this meeting without a, 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 the update. Uh, I don't, I've learned not to do that the day it happens because we destabilized, <laughs> we destabilized a bunch of things. <laughs> you know, when we did that, there was a bunch of things that were like, eh, maybe they don't work perfectly. And, and there were new buttons and new places. And we had an event like two days later and everyone was like, what happened? You know, why is this all broken? And it was my fault. That was a phone I know. That's one of the reasons we moved the office hour stuff out. Um, so anyway, so you'll probably see us ratchet that up a little bit to make sure. But you can put that in, that's in the admin settings and then you can decide how far back. So you can say, I want to go back six versions or three versions or or um, uh, or just a single version. Um, so th that's the way to update update those things. Um, and I, and I, I'm trying to see if, uh, yeah, um, next question. Jesse Kester in Glendale asking, is anyone else having trouble linking Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera Master Raws from an ATEM ISO Live switch in Resolve 18? When I go back to 17, Raws link fine. Tested on Mac, Ventura, Intel, and M1. You know, I haven't I haven't tried to link those back in 18. Um, if you're having that problem, it could be just an update bug, and I would highly recommend um, calling support and letting them know it's there. Um, but I, I haven't, haven't done it in 18, have done it successfully in 17. So, um, so we'll have to do some more testing. Next question. Bill Davis in San Diego, California, and right here on our panel. What's the thinking on the stable diffusion class action litigation filed this week in San Francisco? Go ahead, Courtney. I think they're going to have a really tough time succeeding in this case if they're suing uh, stable diffusion because they're artists and artists are saying, well, they copied, you know, my style without, uh, you know, asking my permission or re reimbursing me. Well, you know, every artist on earth has copied, you know, has looked at other art for reference and, you know, paints paintings based on art that they've seen in the past. And, you know, a computer, these AI models are just training themselves with computer vision instead of human vision. And it's taking things they learn from all the arts of all, all the artists on earth. <laughs> Or that have been uh, publicly uh, viewable, uh, and you know, creating something new. So every artist that ever paints a picture creates something new from stuff they've seen in the past, or from their concept or imagery that they conceive of, and a lot of it is borrowed from other artists. So I don't see how they're possibly going to, you know, succeed succeed on that unless they uh, train a uh, AI model with all the intellectual property. Uh, law cases that have ever been submitted and have an AI judge then make the decision. Good, Bill. Well, it's interesting. And I only brought it up because uh, something passed my web feed today. Uh, there is this big litigation and they put up a website, stablediffusionlitigation.com. And the one thing that it does, I'm not taking a stand one way or another because I really don't know enough about it, but they explained the 
a lot of the factors going into this lawsuit and what I thought were really easy to digest uh, terminology. They delved into the law, but made it, I think, accessible. So if you're interested in this big battle that's going to be coming, it might be a good place to start. Go ahead, John. Attorneys looking for a payday. I can't wait to replace my attorney with chat GPT one day. It's going to be a <laughs> great day. Yeah, I think it's a, it is, I, this was going to happen. It had to happen. Like someone had to test it in, in the courtroom and it'll probably go all the way to the Supreme court to make a decision. I do think that the, the case is very weak, you know, like I, I just don't think that, and I, I think that's why you're putting up a, a website is you're, they're really trying to try the idea in the court of public opinion, as well as in the court of law, um, and try to get, try to gin up some, some, uh, some interest in, in this, in this process. The problem is everyone's having too much fun with it. So they're, they're going to, the longer this lasts and the longer it drags out, the more it becomes embedded and the less it'll matter. You know, the other thing is, is that I think that it is, it, it, again, it was going to happen. It had to happen. It is uh, potentially devastating for artists um, to litigate this. And the reason for that is that right now, everyone's afraid of the boogeyman. You know, they're afraid that they'll lose a suit or they'll lose whatever. If they lose this case, no one's going to be afraid anymore. So as soon as there's, as soon as there is precedent, so if they, they're, they are risking everything on this case because being, you know, I work in corporate, big corporations and they all sit there going, well, we don't want to get sued. This could be hundreds of millions of dollars. This could be blah, 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 blah. As soon as they know, they just step forward, you know? And so what you'll see is you'll, you know, like they'll, if, if they lose this case, it's like, it's, you know, the chances of winning are very low and the, and the, the possibility of what will happen. It would mean that Google, Microsoft, all the big companies that have been hesitant to show their AI will be releasing tens of products into the market. It'll explode, you know, like it, you know, so the industry, you know, isn't looking forward to this art, you know, cause there's a risk that everything could be lost. But the risk is low that everything will be lost. And, and once they have precedent, they're going to go crazy. Like, you know, and, and everyone's been, you know, that's why Google and Microsoft and all these people haven't done it in the past is because of they're concerned about some public opinion, but they're really concerned about litigation because they're big targets, allowing these smaller organizations to take the, take the arrows, you know, like as they, you know, and, and figure it out is what they're all waiting for. But they've got a lot of money and a lot of interest in this, and and so it it it's a it, extremely risky maneuver um, by artists to take this on. Go ahead, Mitchell. I just wanted to ask a question on behalf of our viewers: Are we talking mid journey here? Oh, I think they're talking everything. They're they're just. Okay. I mean, they may be talking. I mean, stable diffusion. They're trying to make a precedent. They probably tried to pick the one that was the 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 weakest, probably the weakest argument, stable diffusion, because you're downloading a model onto a computer. And um, but I think that you know they're going to call into question all of the stuff and again if they lose it's it's over like it's you know it's, it's going to come down the path so fast it, it, it you know there's going to be a trillion dollars spent the year after on on ai the year after they lose this case if they lose it and they won't win it for years <laughs> and by the time they win it it'll be embedded into everything and <laughs> we'll be always in it like at some point you know the this the supreme court will look at it going well you know like you know and and like you know napster eventually got knocked down but it didn't matter it was the the industry the the changes had already happened um yeah go ahead bill the plaintiffs in this are stability ai deviant art and mid journey so that's they're the they're, plaintiffs 
Those are the plaintiffs. The, the, that's what it says. Plaintiffs, uh, not the defendants. Oh, the defendants. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was. Yeah. I, those yeah, are so, the defendants. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So they're they're hitting after all of them. They're trying to they're trying to stop this flow, and I just don't think it's going to stop. And I think the problem is is that that they uh, it will be yeah, it's catastrophic if they lose for them. You know, and again, it it, it was going to happen no matter what. It's just that it'll accelerate everything if if there's a if there's precedent. Um. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and I'm, uh, once this case is uh, settled or kicked up to the Supreme Court, uh, the next case is going to be the reverse, whether stable diffusion and, and can can sue based on somebody using something generated with their intellectual property, stable diffusion, created, you know, uh, in a commercial sense so that they can right. sue somebody else for copyright infringement of copyright uh, of infringing on the copyright of those artificial intelligences. Yeah. And I have to say that after using a lot of mid journey and chat GPT, I do think that a prompt engineer or a prompt, uh, uh, um, you know, a diffusionist, which is what we started to call it. I, I, there is a skill there. Like there is a, um, you know, like thinking about how you ask the question definitely drives the answer. And it is not, I think that they're going to be able to prove that that is that you're not just turning to down in the same way that there is with synthesizers they make a lot of noise on their own and they can make all kinds of things on their own but someone's still hooking them up and driving them to make them do the thing that they're doing so i think that it's going to be you know or even using samples and so on and so forth i think it, i think it's again I, I don't think that the court is going to be on the side of the artists in this case because you know all artists <laughs> I don't know, I, almost all artists stealing <laughs> from somebody, you know, and so, uh, yeah, next question. Jesse Kester from Glendale asking, Oscar nominations drop today. Any hot takes from the panel? Go ahead, Sky. I'm looking at the list, and Brandon Frazier has been away for a while, and uh, the, what, why, why ever he was away, there's all kinds of, you know, issues there, but it's good to see him back. I, I wish him the best, but I'm also looking at uh, the stable, the not the Fablemans and the Steven Spielberg again at 70. What did he say? He's 74 and he's telling his own story as a story, I think is intriguing. And of course, I'm, I'm very interested in Brendan Gleason for no other reason than he's got a great last name. What were the, what, I don't see, I didn't see the ones listed for best, just best picture. Um, is it, is it like buried somewhere? I got um, actor, actress, director. Oh, best picture. Yeah, best go. picture. There's, yeah, 10 there's, there's 10. We were talking about yeah. that in the pre-show. <laughs> That's actually why I raised my hand. There's, <laughs> it's, it's like 10. I've only seen three of them. I feel yeah. really uneducated here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I will be really surprised if Brendan Fraser doesn't win an Oscar. Like, I just feel like this is his moment. We have to remember that Oscars aren't really like an actual objective view of it's the political scene, you know, in Hollywood. And right now he's got the, you know, he's got the juice, you know, of, you know, he gave a great acceptance speech at the last one. And, you know, I just feel like he's, he's kind of in the, in the zone. Go ahead, Bill. They could go with Austin Butler though, that it, because that Elvis movie, his impression of Elvis was so spot on and yet yeah. compelling. And you can't leave Colin Farrell out of that either, that everybody who has seen the Banshees, movie has said it's just extraordinary i haven't seen either i have seen elvis but i haven't seen the other one it's going to be an interesting race this year yeah i i i'm i put about 80 percent chance that fraser gets the uh <laughs> gets the win just because again there's just a lot of um they you know he's older he's got you know how many times is this going to happen 
people take that all into account. Like, you know, how are we going to, you know, and, and, and I think that that's the, that we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll see. But I think that that's the, that's the, the most likely outcome. Next question. For your consideration, Douglas Carmichael asked, have you ever dealt with client resistance or misconceptions based upon the brands of equipment you use? I've heard of that happening with brands like Behringer, Mackey, or PV. Go ahead, Bill. Everybody who's built a business has had to face this. You, you walk out, you know, when you're starting, you usually can't uh, finance or start out with top quality equipment. So you're using something that is at the bottom end of the market. You're trying to learn your craft. You may be walking out with a camcorder rather than a full scale rig. And um, at some point you have to confront the fact that what your perception in the market becomes as important as what you can actually do. Uh, we used to joke about the fact that I was going to make a beta cam size box that I could put my small Sony cameras in just so it looked like I had a bigger camera. And, you know, it was driven by that perception among clients. And when I finally graduated to a shoulder mount full size camera, it took a little, there was a sense of relief, you know, walking in with this, they're not going to know that I'm shooting on an industrial high camera rather than a beta cam, but it looks enough the same so that people didn't it just got checkmarked off, and it's just the way of the world, I think. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, it used to be an issue, Douglas. Um, you know, if you didn't walk in with a Sony or an Ikigami, uh, you would get uh, questioned about it. But what's happened in the business is that the gatekeepers and the companies that made decisions about who got to do what, um, who understood the equipment and the people doing it and who was appropriate for this particular job, are gone now, and it's being replaced by people that are uh, accountants. And they don't know. They just care that you get the job done to a certain level. I go according. Uh, they do care. There's a, a lot of brand snobbery. And, you know, if if a cameraman shows up with, a, you know, a DSLR to shoot your, you know, $2 million commercial with, you, they're going to look down their nose. And However, you know, if a cameraman owns a red, let's say, and he... And the client wants to shoot with an area Alexa because that's what they use on all their commercials. You know, he may deliver something worse because he rents an area Alexa for that one shoot where they insisted that he use that because he's not familiar with the camera. He could have probably delivered a better product with his red because he knows it and he uses it all the time. And the sad thing is that that uh, brand snobbery or, or you know, uh, can affect the uh, quality of the product negatively. Good sky. We found the brand snobbery in the post-production world of uh, compositing, early days of what was called the Flame, very high-end compositing system that Auto, well, Autodesk owns it now, but originally it was what discrete logic, and they promoted to the end user of the uh, agencies in Chicago, and consequently, when the production assistant would call says, do you have a flame? They, they weren't asking, can you produce a quality product with whatever hammer or tool that you have? They were specifically having been branded to uh, by the manufacturer that we need a flame because that's the tool that's going to get our you know commercial the best quality polish. Good, Bill. 
And I don't don't forget that we're also in an era where phones are so capable that uh, it's possible to shoot something really good on a phone. And but if you show up with a phone as your primary camera, people are going to go, well, wait a second, I got the same phone in my pocket. Why can't I just do this myself? And it's hard to convince them that it's never the piano. It's always the piano player and that somebody with great skills can use a lesser camera and get better results than somebody who's incompetent using the best camera in the world. That takes explaining and, and people do make these snap judgments. You know, I definitely was the victim of this in the beginning and then the benefactor of it in the end. <laughs> you know, so so I, I would say that, you know, I've seen it go both both directions. Um, the uh, the reality is, is that if you're, you know, a small vendor that's going into that, it's one thing. If you start working in an ecosystem, so you're now working in an, the back end of an event where there's 30 or 40 people or 100 people, or you're working in a large film set, and everyone's going to make decisions about you based on what you bring. Um, you know, And it doesn't mean that you can't bring it. It means that you, if you're going to take something that is out of the norm, you're going to have to nail it. Like you have to, you know, you're now building, you know, so you can get away with, you know, well, we, we you know, if, if you come in and you're doing everything that everybody else does and there's a little glitch, um, it's one thing. But if you come in with anything that looks at all odd, um, you have to. And, and so what I did early on when we were getting things off the ground was we performed. We, you know, we succeeded all the time, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and we made sure that we spent extra time preparing and extra time doing it because we knew that we didn't have the hardware that everybody else had. And the reality is, is that a lot of that hardware does make a difference. It does make it, it makes it easier for you to get the two to things faster. Like I, I shot a lot of interviews on DSLRs. I would never do that now. Like I would never shoot an interview with a DSLR. Um, you know, the, uh, because it doesn't have the tools that I need and it doesn't have the stuff, you know, there's a whole, it doesn't record the right thing and internally it doesn't, you know, I would never go back to where I was, you know, before to do that because it's not as production ready as a true camera that's ready, that's built for video, you know? And, and so um, there's lots of little weird things that we did in the early days that I wouldn't do now um, to make that happen. But like, for instance, I had a very large film producer that was going and we were going to take a video and put it on a big screen. And I know that my black magic cameras are, um, uh, perfectly fine for what we were using for it. <laughs> like, you know, I've got 12 K black cameras. They will totally do the job. And I still rented an airy LF. You know, so because that's what he shoots his films on, you know, and, and so the thing is, is that, you know, because then he'll look at it and go, oh, okay, I'm okay. Like, like he, you know, that's the, you know, and, and we brought, you know, the, the right lights and the right stuff. And that makes everybody feel like they have more, there's more security that people are just doing the thing. Right. And so, so you have to be conscious to, to those things and you should not think that it doesn't matter because it absolutely matters, you know, to, to, uh, when you're in, you know, a, a larger production group and, and it's not the only thing that matters. It's not like you, if you can perform it, it's fine, but you, you always want to look at it as a matter of degrees. Everything that you do that's outside of the straight and narrow, you know, if you're a little late, you're taking a step towards the front of the bus. If you are, uh, if you don't dress well, you're taking a step towards the front of the bus. If you don't present yourself well, you're taking a step towards the front of the bus. If you don't use the right equipment, you're taking a step towards the right, the front of the bus. <laughs> These are all things that none of, not any one of them gets you in front of the bus. If something goes wrong, they just get you closer to the front. <laughs> so what you try to do is if you ask for things at the event, uh, ask, ask for a cable or something else that you forgot from another crew, another step, another step towards the front of the bus. And so, so those are, so those are the kind of things that you just, cause when something, if everything goes well, no one cares. If something goes bad, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to throw somebody under the bus and you don't want to be that person. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. 
Yeah, I would I would say that it matters to myself about what I bring to the uh, bring to the party. It would never shoot with a uh, an iPhone or any other device like it's not purpose built <clears throat> for what you're using it for. And it also depends on what part of the country. And if you're in Hollywood or Silicon Valley, um, people are going to be a lot more aware of what uh, is the best of the best. But uh, in the rest of the country, like where I am in Wilmington, Delaware, they don't know, so they don't care. I, I will say I've. I've shot video in uh, uh, 40 countries and people notice everywhere. <laughs> so, so I would say, you know, in, in about in about 35 states. Uh, so so it, it depends on your market and what you're and, and the clientele that you have. But uh, in live production, everybody, everybody has a pretty good sense of it. They're all paying attention. Um, I mean, I, I was in Rwanda and the guy had a QL or a CL5 you know, there, there, you know, to do it for doing something that you did not need that for, um, but that was the show of force. Um, next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking, seems that the X32 is limited to eight channels of Dugan Auto Mix. Suggestion for a mixer with more than eight channels of Auto Mix. Thanks. Yeah, I think that the Yamaha either has 16 channels of Auto Mix or a lot more. I, I can't remember which. I know it has at least 16 because we've used it in the past. Uh, so the Yamaha, that's a QL1, um, and, and all of the, all the Yamahas, I believe, will have that Dugan built into it. Um, so I think that that is uh, one option for, for you to look at. Um, if you're renting them, they're, they are a lot more expensive than the, than the, um, than the Behringer's. They're really hard to find uh, right now. I think I think I, I know almost nobody that can find a QL1 at the moment. Um, the other way to go is to get an outboard auto mix. So if you really want to add this, now it's still maybe pricey. Um, you can Dugan makes an, uh, a variety of insert. What how Dugan started was actually inserts. So you would have a, an eight channel Dugan and you do inserts out of your mixer back into it, and that's how it, that's how it originally worked. Um, but he has one that's a sixty four channel auto mix um it's a 64 channel auto mix that is just a little box and it's on dante and the funny thing is is that the 64 channel dante uh is um the same price as the eight channel like analog input you know version so that you can get 64 channels and eight channels and i asked dan i was like why why are these the same price and he goes well it doesn't cost any more to make <laughs> so it was like that, that was just that's how you do it so um anyway so and you can break those dugans into mixes so what what that 64 channel one's really designed is multiple rooms or multiple situations and so you can actually break group them into their own auto mix systems and so you may want to look at that it is expensive it's five or six thousand dollars but it but it you can then send all your channels via dante out of the uh out of your uh, any mixer and then move them into dugan and move them back so that might be another option as well uh, next question Douglas Carmichael asking, what are some techniques for tidying up cable sprawl in the studio? Is it mainly using cables of appropriate length or are patch panels and cable ties also important? I go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, if you're using an analog patch panel, then you've got a rat's nest of cable at some point. Maybe in the beginning it'll look nice, but after you've done all your patches and now you've got a wall full of wires uh, going uh, willy-nilly, um, I would go with a digital uh, uh, router system instead of an analog patch panel. And yes, uh, you already suggested having cables of the right length uh, make a lot of sense. And as Alex likes to say, cable ties are your enemy until you're prepared to set it in concrete. Then it's okay. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. I think that stuff's all important. I mean, Alex was articulating earlier exactly why people judge everything you do. And if you have rat's nests of cables, um, it, it just looks like you're not paying attention to details. I think I probably own 
40 different kinds of cable wrapping products. That wouldn't surprise me. I've never counted them, but everything from Velcro to bongo ties, and each of them have their own place. And the fact that if you're doing something that even if it's temporary, taking the time to tape down your cables correctly just signals to everybody that you're a detail-oriented person. You understand the safety process of keeping your signal lines and your cables in good shape and storing them is important to you so that your stuff always works right. Sorry, I got on the wrong page. Uh, Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, if you're talking about interconnect cables between different pieces of audio gear or video gear, let's say, get the cables the right length and gather them together if they're never going to be changed or improved. As far as routing, for example, uh, if you've got a uh, you know modular synth, uh, you know part of the mystique of a modular synth is all the rat's nest of cables as you're patching all the stuff from one module to the next module, and uh, and it's visually necessary to know what's patched into what, because in an analog synth, there's no uh, digital record and there's no record of what was patched into what or the signal path that they're using. So that being able to see the cables and where they go and using color-coded cables is important in that case. And that's where digital patching, you know, could save you, but, you know, you'd have to save a snapshot, a digital snapshot, and you'd have to do trace routes on how everything is hooked up or or a, a nodal view in your software to see what nodes are connected to what nodes. And that, of course, eliminates all of the cable problems, but it's it's not the same mystique, you know. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, zip ties are your friend as well as Velcro. I live on those two things and maybe a little gaff tape here and there. But um, though I took my entire truck this summer and literally pulled everything out, like emptied the rack, And as I was doing it, I was amazed at the pile of cables that were not even plugged into anything when I pulled them out. And I I just beat myself up over it like, this is ridiculous. And it was. It was a cluster mess of just like, oh, my gosh, how did this even work? But um, I will give it to uh, Greg Balot. He spent about two weeks with me. And the two of us ran every cable. And you 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 have to have a plan. Um, you, you just can't just start wiring things together. Like you need to draw it out on an Excel file first, what goes to where. And then when you are physically wiring things up, you, you really have to think about what is the best run for this cable. Because if you don't plan that, you will end up in another mess. And... Um, you know, you, you might go through 500 zip ties, but it's worth it. Like if, if two wires go in the same direction, I zip tie them. And then if I do another, if I add one, I cut it and then I'll add another one. And then you just keep doing that until you get to your, you know, it's never done because you're going to always change things and always add things. So it's a constant beast. And if you don't take care of it from the get-go and then keep doing that, um, you'll find a, a, you know, a big headache. And to Courtney's thing, um, you need to label every cable. I mean, even my power cables are labeled. I, I know it's a power cable, 
but sometimes I need to know what that power cable is plugged into. So you have to, and you have to do it on both ends. And even if it's like this long of a cable, still do it because you're practicing what you're doing. And if you get out of practice and become lazy, you'll get lazy down the road. So I don't know. I, I've just become really anal with my cables lately. And it, and when I walk, even my office, when I walk into my office, I actually feel good about it because like, it's not this like, like, I don't know what's happening. Um, but now, you know, I kind of, kind of know what's happening. Yeah. One of the things that I got in, for a while, for a solid year, I didn't change anything because I just didn't know where the cables were actually going. I kind of built it organically for office hours in this room you know, in, in my room. And now I'm in the habit of every two or three months, I tear it apart. <laughs> like I just take the whole thing apart, put it back together. Uh, it means that I know where everything is. I know why I put it there. Um, and usually when I, I sit down in front of, for me, OmniGraffle, and I just build out a diagram of this is what I want to do next. And then I put it all in. I'm, I'm one, it's actually one of the reasons I'm going back to SDI in my house is because I can build the cables to length, um, you know, and I can um, build them exactly the length that I want as opposed to kind of the length that I want. Um, which is what I get with HDMI, um, and so along with a lot more routing and so on and so forth. So yeah, definitely think through that. Labeling's all good. Um, one of the things that we try to do pretty, uh, pretty carefully in the office is that Kevin keeps a kind of an as-built um, for a lot of the kits, especially ones that go on the road. He'll have an as-built, so if he changes something, he goes into into his document and changes like this is what it is. So we kind of know. It's not usually 100% accurate, but it's 95, 98% accurate most of the time of him knowing where all those things are going. It saves a lot of time. Um, next question. Next question from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada. Has anyone on the panel tried the KZNZSN in-ear monitors? How do they compare to the KZZS10S that are often recommended? Go ahead, Sky. Well, I started with these. And then in over the course of the time, we ended up with, with this as my ear. And now I am using those. And obviously, I haven't compared these two, but for the price point of 23 to under $30 each, uh, it, it's almost worth getting both of them to see what you works best for you. So uh, again, we can always you know, progress and, and do, do better, but... Uh, I would be interested in hearing if you can hear the difference between the two, because these are about a year and a half old and they're very comfortable. Yeah. So I, I have, I'm, that's what I'm wearing is the KZS 10s. Um, and so I have them. That's what I use in my office uh, for those. I have boxes of them actually, so that I can send them out to people if I need them, uh, like for a, for a show. Um, the, uh, I ordered one of these based on your question. So I'll, I'll let you know. I should have it tomorrow. Uh, so we'll try to uh, tomorrow. So maybe, maybe later this week or early next week, we'll, I'll have them and I'll tell you if I hear any difference because I've been using, I think I switched over to these um, maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, I switched over to these and um, I've been really happy with them. When I'm, you know, really doing mission critical on air, I still move back to the bubble bees um, because they just have lower profile, but they don't have the same detail that I have with these. And I can really hear everything on the other side as well as on my side. So, um, so I, 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 they're highly detailed. They're a little, um, you know, they're not accurate, but they are detailed. And so I can usually hear very, very small issues with sound with them, with them on. Um, next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael. With Microsoft integrating ChatGPT into Word, Excel, PowerPoint, do you think they'll have an option to disable it for educational deployments given the number of schools that are banning its use? Uh, the schools have to move forward. 
you know, they're not going to be able to keep on, you know, the papers were dumb in the first place. So, so it was, you know, so I think that it, they've been not particularly useful for a very long time, at least since I was in high school. So, you know, I think that it's, it's a matter of, you know, figuring out the next, next thing that they're going to do, not how do you stop them from using it? Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I agree with Alex. They have to move forward. I mean, you don't see schools requiring you use a slide rule or, uh, you know, long division to calculate they did. answers. In they did. They did like at the time. When the calculator came out, oh, you can't use that. And, 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 oh, you can't. Like, every time this happens, every time something's made easier, the schools are like, oh, my gosh, we, you know, our entire pipeline is based on the past. You know, um, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, 1971, I fought the calculator battle against the physics yeah. department and the slide rules, <laughs> and I had to fight tooth and nail to get it. And they thought I was an uppity little kid doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the bottom line is, is that it, it, you still have to be accurate. And right now, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I will admit, I'm not entirely certain. Uh, like, I, as a student, my, my kids were asking about it, and I was like, I wouldn't use it. And it's not because it's being banned or anything else. It's because it'll sound perfectly normal and be completely inaccurate. <laughs> so I think that's what the teachers are worried about. Um, you know, but the, uh, but I told, you know, I think that it's great. I think you should use ChatGPT. Uh, I, I told my kids I wouldn't use it because I'd be, I don't like rereading things or rewriting things. I like to write them from scratch. Um, but, but the, uh, but I think that forcing a kid to, make something in chat GPT and then, and then not be wrong, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like actually have to reread it might cause them to do more study than they, than they would if they had just written the paper from the ground up, you know, like, because they, because it's, it's much harder to suss out what's wrong in something that is written reasonably um, than it is to, to get it some other way. So it actually makes, in my opinion, the students work harder, <laughs> you know, to do this. I go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, concerning the accuracy of ChatGPT, but you know, you have to realize that humans, if the student was not allowed to use an artificial intelligence, it may only, a student may only draw on one or two sources uh, for his information to write his paper, you know, and he may be watching the wrong cable news channel or the wrong Facebook feed to pull his information from, which is full of incorrect information. And the reason ChatGPT occasionally will get things wrong is because it's pulling its sources from all those things that are out there on the internet. And the internet is full of a lot of, you know, wrong opinions and wrong information out there. And it weighs those things. And I think it has to take into account as they train those models even better to have a consensus, to have trusted models and trusted sources that it gives more weight to so they can weight its answers and pull its information from the more trusted sources. But a human has to do the same thing, and he has to figure out whether he trusts the sources that he's using for you know writing his paper as well. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. I think unequivocally they should allow it, and uh, I think they should also allow the teachers to have their own uh, chat GPT that actually checks those papers for accuracy dueling dueling chat gpts um yeah i mean i i would rather i guess i overall i would rather um kids over time to get good at using ai than to try to figure out how to learn you know like i use it all the time I'm, I, all all the recipes that i use for my soups are all chat gpt like I, it's been like a, this experiment now i slowly change them and move them around and everything else but i start with give me a this kind of soup, like I had it give me an Osh soup and I just finished some last night and I'll have some for lunch today. Um, and, um, and I had before that, it was a it's rainy day soup. And before that, you know, I have a lemongrass soup and all these soups that I like to make are all done with chat GPT. And um, I don't necessarily, I realized that it wasn't any worse because it was compiling, it was compiling 
all of these recipes into something that, you know, was, was there. It wasn't a specific one. Anyway, um, I think that the thing is, is that, I, you know, part of the problem is, is that we're really stuck teaching kids stuff that they don't need to know. And then we're not teaching them what they need to know. <laughs> so, so I think that that's the, that's the real problem here is that, um, the, you know, and, we, you know, schools are in, you know, are going to be changing a lot. You know, I don't even know what, what, what it'll look like in 10 years, but, um, they're basically, you know, they made sense before the internet. They don't make sense right now. And we're not, again, we've, you know, I think that no child left behind, and this is a, probably a Saturday discussion, but no child left behind to kind of destroy the schools. And I don't know if they're, I don't know if they can recover because it made us pay attention to packing information into people's heads that they can Google and ignoring the things that actually bring, um, you know, knowledge and skill <laughs> to their life, you know, and, and, and enjoyment, you know? And so, um, so I think that it, 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 it was probably, well, when we look back and wonder why we don't have public schools anymore, we, we, we'll be able to draw it right back to no child left behind. Um, and, uh, common core, <laughs> like that, those, those are the two things that will, uh, will, will draw it back to this. These were the, these were the fatal mistakes that the school system made and it's what it destroyed it. Um, all right, there's my little tirade for you for today. Um, anyway, uh, I spent a lot. Of, I spent 20 years tracking it, <laughs> just 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 watching watching it and thinking about it and working with schools at every level. Uh, and so that's that's my my uh, opinion after after a, a while. So we're going to look at um, graphics. I'm going to change our subject here. We started a little late because there wasn't a lot of questions, and I know that we'll kind of scan through the stuff. So as you see it, if you see questions, um, uh, you know we're going to. I have to skip through it. Um, I had a couple problems. <laughs> getting ready for this number one is i couldn't capture from the screen so i had to it took me a little while to get all of my my pipeline reset up to re record it and I'm, i know that i'm saying my dog eat my homework i have a bunch of video to show you but and final cut won't start up when you have a lot of isotope um audio plugins it just gets halfway through and just freezes so i so i was like and then i you know it was just one of those things like i tried a little too long on to get because final cuts a lot faster for than resolve for this kind of thing like oh i want to compile a bunch of stuff and put it all in and i just kept on trying to get final cut to start and i couldn't get it to, i couldn't get into final cut i got into resolve but i didn't have time then to, to cut the show so we're just going to skip through the quick times that i that i had there um so let me uh let's see here let's jump to you probably just see my screen here, which is fine. Um, let me, uh, uh, let's see here. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at a couple of these and we'll just talk through them and, and um, discuss, you know, what we're, what we're looking at. The reason, one of the reasons that I, that I do this, I do this all the time. So I collect this kind of stuff and throw it in, not usually just all the playoffs, but I will collect graphics that I like. If I watch a show, I will record the show. Um, and pull out the graphics, and I usually have little folders of it. And the reason is, is and I do it relatively often. I mean, really half the reason I watch TV is just to watch the lower thirds and the graphics and the things, and I pay a lot of attention to them because um, when you get asked to do it, you want to know what the modern version of this is. Like, you don't want to do, like, it's really easy to do something old that looks old, you know, and, and you have to remember that a lot of people are watching the modern versions. And so so you want to pay attention to those. Um, and the, the reason I pay attention to the NFL in... Um, you know, like the Steelers aren't playing, so I don't really care who wins anymore. Um, the the but for me, I watch them because this is where the probably the most amount of money in the world is spent on graphics. There's the there's the foot, American football graphics, the Super Bowl, and the Olympics, and that's where you get to see where all the money goes when someone has all the money to put into into a computer into live graphics. And so um, that's why I 
feel like it's worth us looking at every every once in a while to to take a look at it and about once a year and just say, well, where are they? And and you know, I think that um, so that's that's why we're why we're looking at this. And let me uh, I uh, hold on a second here. Oh, there we go. Um, so let's take a look at. I just had one fail to open anyway. So um, and I will go. So let's see here if I cut to this. There we go. So this is the, um, this is NBC. Um, and, and I will flat out say that I think the NBC ones are the best. <laughs> like, like, like when we look at them there, that's the one I pay the most attention to uh, is because they, they generally are the best, in my opinion, the best designed um, ones of the bunch. Um, so so what, what I find interesting is, is how much information is being drawn into this. And for the panelists, just jump in or you can raise your hand or whatever if there's things you want to add. So, you know, there's all these things that, that were, you know, being told. And, and it's an amazing amount of information carefully, um, you know, carefully told to us. So we have the, you know, the time remaining, you know, on the clock. Um, we have, let me, uh, let me do something real quick here. There we go. We have the time remaining on the clock here. Um, we have obviously the time in the half. We have the what half or what quarter, time in the quarter and the quarter the quarter there. Of course, we have the scores um, and we have these nice. Um, you know, we have these things, and you know, this is a lot of design. Like when you look at something like this, if you want to get good at computer graphics, you try reproducing. This is how I got into doing. Um, if I how I got into doing live uh, graphics for a couple different networks was taking network graphics and trying to reproduce them pixel for pixel. Like, how do I make it do exactly what it's doing um, at, at, you know, at, at that moment and, and, and reproduce that? Because I, every time I compare it, mine would look schlocky. And then I'd have to figure out why, why does it still look schlocky? <laughs> like, what makes mine look not good and theirs look good? And as I closed that gap, I got to a point where I could see most of those things and do it. So, you know, there's little things like, you know, um, you know, these, these little arrows are, are all adding, you know, to where, which way, which direction they're going. Um, you have the logo here, you have, you know, who's got the ball. Um, a lot of these things, you know, at first we thought that, you know, you'll see other opinions about this in some of the other broadcasts, but there is a little bit, bit of directionality here. So there's a slight gradient. So, it, but it looks more like a kind of like a reflection you can see right here. That's kind of cap, it's kind of capturing that reflection. You've got this little, this little corner thing, you know, and, and there's things that will pop out here. Well, hopefully we'll be able to find those for you. Um, but the, you know, these are a little like semi-transparent edges and you just want to look at all the attention, like little things like there's a catch edge right here. So there's this catch edge that, that, that gives it that, that dimension, you know, as well as just a subtle little shadow underneath it, as well as the highlight up here. And so that's what's giving it the dimension that, that you feel, um, you know, when you look at it let's, let's see if we can, um, Let's see. I'm not sure if it'll. Uh... And here's the and here's your. I really like this 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 transition. This is a new one. I think this year. Um, so if you if you watch this going, so this is a uh, you know this is your alpha. You can you can see it coming in. So this is one of your this is your sweeper um, that you have here or a stinger. And so notice how they, you know, they have the lines. And so what they probably did here is there's probably a lined version of this um, that's that's there. Um, but you can see, 
it looks like to me that there is a that they have a lined version. They always obviously have the solid version, and they're wiping. They're taking a transparent, a holdout mat, and moving it through both of them. So it's a holdout mat that that passes through them, and then it fills. And this is a really, I, I really find this to be a nice touch. You see these, you see the, 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 the those, the, it, it took that front edge that was floating in front. They ran the blue across it while it was going forward. And then they got rid of everything else and just left a little, like, you know, like those are like little, little things at the very end. And that, you know, that I, th- I feel like that adds a lot of, um, you know, the sound add, effect it, is good too on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, this is, uh, this has gotten a lot better in the recent years. Uh, the telestrator stuff see i can do i can do telestrator on top of his telestrator for a long time the telestrator was was pretty uh was pretty rough um you know in those and how many physical frames is that because the perception for that sweeper six six frames um let's see here because again frames are portions of seconds and that we are perceiving all of that information in less than you know totally so that's um one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. So we in under 32, a second. 34, 30. So it's about a second. You know, wow. that, that 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 and all of that happened. And again, you want to look at this that all of that happened in in uh in one second, all of that. And there's a just think about I think about how many meetings that was. <laughs> one second there's a lot of there's a lot of meetings there um uh because you're you're messing with a brand image you're definitely well and there's just just you know there's going to be a lot of of people that have opinions about um you know what that you know what that looks like so here's so watch this transition it's really nice um so you have so you see this wipe out that's not by accident you know, like they're, so you see, see how they're using that. So they, they, it's a lot, there's a lot going on. We could probably spend the whole time just working on this, this one, you know, but watch this. This is, it bumps, see the center, it bumps a little bit and then it fades out, but then it lets little pieces come back out again. Then it, then you can see it's, it's doing a reveal of the, of the back logo. And then it brings the, that, that Mac logo up and then it brings the touchdown forward. I don't really like the text on the touchdown, but that's all another story. Um, I don't like things that feel like they're kind of hard embossed. Um, but yeah, but you can see like the other thing they're doing here is you can see the, you know, they've got the little like flickering light thing going on there. That's that's there. They got rid of the logo there with the, you know, you can see how they, they get rid of that logo. That is a lot of work, you know, like, and this is again, like as Guy said, this is like a second. Um, that's a lot of work in there to make that all kind of, you, you're fading that back and forth and then you, um, so then you, and then you're, you're, you're holding it back there again. It's, it comes back. There's a lot of things that they're doing where it stops and comes back. It's your little glint on the, on the right corner over there. Yeah. And then you can, see, you want to watch how this stuff emerges, you know, so all that stuff is coming out. It, it's not only fading up, but it's just sliding a little bit as well as everything pops in. So everything kind of assembles itself, you know, for you. And then you're, then they go back to the old, like little ticker. And there's a couple of different ways of doing this, but they, they go back to that little, uh, 
um, that little ticker that you see there to, to give you the new one, to give you a little bit of rolling song. numbers. Yeah, yeah, the rolling number thing is uh, you know is a harken back to the old the old scoreboards, um, you know, and so and then it should here. Let's see here. Let's. But but what I'm appreciating and, is and let's go back that, and watch it. Is that there's consistency for me as the audience. I'm not having to reinterpret where that information is or how right. it's placed, but they've repurposed it because they have other information they need to tell you in that moment. And, and all of that happened in just a couple seconds there. And then here's your, that's your sweeper again. Same one. Now this is, I, I just want to point out how hard this is. What you see here, it, it's something you see over and over and over again. Okay, so they showed a play they had a little bit more time because they had the celebration and they went back to it but then they came back to this play they actually have a picture of the player they figured out where the player is gave him an arrow and now they're doing telestration over top of that and that all happened in you know less than a minute you know that they they, they they got to that frame they set that frame up they put it together they they put all that in and then and they do that over and over and over again throughout the show and that is not a not a minor not a minor success Let's go to the let's go to the questions. Um, first question from Dave Troutman in Edmonton and uh, asking, have you ever examined the graphics and effects used in the World Cup of football? Often they debut new graphic technologies in their stingers. You know, I have to I, I, I have not, to be honest with you. And um, I think that we probably should cover the World Cup, um, you know, football, uh, you know, do look at FIFA. Uh, you know, it's not something that I was conscious to, um, mostly because I just, I, I didn't watch any of it. I don't, I, you know, I don't, there's a lot of wide chats you know, in soccer and I have a hard time. I have a hard time as a, as an American football person. I, I have a hard time watching soccer for very long. I know that it's a really big sport and a lot of people like it. I just don't, I just don't, I'm not as conscious to it. Um, and I should, I should look at what they're, what they're doing there. And it's um, on a picnic cloth. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, I don't want to, you know, like I get that it's a, it's an important sport and a lot of people are into it. And, and I think that I, I, I understand it more now that, you know, to, than I used to. I think the offsides and penalties were confusing for me, but the big thing is lots of wide shots and I have a hard time with that. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so I haven't, I haven't looked at it as much, but I would, uh, I would like to, I think we should definitely break it down. Um, next question. Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana, asking, the XFL looks more modern graphics-wise than the NFL. Is it just an intentional separation or less entrenched dogma? I go ahead, Sky. My, expect, my, my anticipation is that they're aiming at a younger audience. And so they're, they're using the video game concept and not unafraid of being able to, like you said, break old old traditional ways because they're going for a younger audience. So that would be my, my guess of why it's got a different look. Yeah. I, I haven't, um, you know, I, I think that the, the market, the, the size of the market that is watching an XFL is much different than the NFL. <laughs> so there's, uh, so they are a little bit more edgy. They probably have a little more room to do it. And they probably also have less layers of approval, you know, for what they're doing. Um, next question. Next question in from Dave Troutman in Edmonton. Any comment on on-field graphics and on-ice graphics in hockey? Uh, yeah, we should look at the on, on. I don't know about the on-ice. I don't. I can't comment on those because we don't have those graphics lined up here. But uh, we can definitely jump to um, you know some of the you know on-field graphics. Let me see if I can find some of these. I, you know, a lot of us have watched these uh, these on-field graphics um, evolve over. 
a lot of time. And uh, let's see if I can. What I'm kind of amazed by is if you look at this and you watch this here, that they're moving that camera, the camera's bouncing around and you really just don't see any, any slippage. Now you will see slippage occasionally. So I think if we go back to where they were lined up right here, now watch the, the, the second and goal that's in there. You'll notice that it slides just a little bit. You can see it. Can you see it bounce a little bit? There's just a little bit of bounce in it um, as it you know didn't quite stay where it needed to be but that's really hard <laughs> like it's doing it live we're moving the camera it's bouncing around um you know so so it is uh you know the the on-screen graphics are kind of an amazing thing they the, the you know figuring that out now what they do to do that uh, well my understanding of what they do is they have to they have to calibrate those cameras they have to know where the plane of the field is so that it can only exist in that plane then there's a, a variety of keying that that is required to make that actually work and they have to you know really figure out what what that key needs to look like to go over the right things and knock over the players and you will know players with certain shoe colors will not <laughs> will kind of blend into the background a little bit but it's come a long way i mean it's they've been doing that now for 30 years i remember them showing it to us at prime sports network like this is going to be the future and everything else and when we saw it we were like uh, is it <laughs> is it going to be the future because it looks really ugly right now then it did look ugly until only probably the last 10 years it's really gotten to a point where it kind of almost feels like it's part of the field um so it's it's a pretty uh you know uh pretty interesting uh, uh piece there yeah let's go to the next question uh go ahead sky you were gonna say something yeah just real quick they you're talking about the progression of of the graphics i do remember the anecdote about the original tracking the hockey puck and they didn't let the the line fade away and so it just looked like somebody's small child had taken a crayon to the screen right yeah yeah no absolutely yeah go ahead um, doug yeah i worked uh, a couple seasons uh, with mls and i was uh, working as a technician in the var which is the video assistant referee booth and um we would have to, we got there six hours before a game and um, we would have to calculate each camera would go to a position on the field. We would take a frame of it and then the computer would do its thing. And what we did was we were able to put, um, I know you, this is a soccer thing, but it's, it's still a sport. <laughs> um, we put a line across uh, for the offside. Um, and so, but that was, it was just so cool. I mean, I, you know, I'm in the, in the field and I got to see that, that happen and, and it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to outline that I think that soccer is probably the future of in the, in, so the two things that are, that I expect to grow really, really large in the next, uh, um, little bit of time is soccer and esports. Like those are the two probably fastest growing sports that we're going to see competitive sports in the United States, because I think that. Apple will help a lot. <laughs> the MLS getting a, a much more exposure, and I think it'll change a lot. And a lot of people don't want it. Like my my son is my son is definitely growing into what could be a lineman, and I won't. I don't have any interest in having him play. I think Ted <laughs> like Lasso is helping a lot for that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good, Courtney. Well, it's just a question for Doug if he since he worked in that booth. If uh, you know, in the past, the on field graphics, which are the graphics that are stuck to the field. So they used to have to do those with uh, specially calibrated cameras with encoders built on the head, onto the heads and the zoom lenses and the dollies if they're moving cameras so that they would know where each camera is in space so they could, uh, you know, 
keep it locked to the image that that camera is delivering. Are they doing that now all with the computer using just an optical, just the, the visual input from that camera lens uh, without optical encoders? It's all happening in a computer somewhere? Uh, I think somewhere. it's software that runs in their system. It, uh, the company is Hawkeye, um, and they started in the tennis world um, when when they would do the replays to see if, if the ball was in or out, you'd see the the animation of the ball hit the line or not hit the line. That's where the company started over in Europe. And then they transitioned or added to um, the soccer offside. But I think they work with the NFL as well. I mean, I think Hawkeye is that technology is being used all over the in, in sports. Right. Um, but in about any sport nowadays can use this technology. I mean, you watch a baseball game and you see the pitch and you see a logo on the the you know the side well that logo is a graphic it's not uh and sometimes you actually see them on the mound the pitcher's mound um so this technology is just going to get better and better where you won't be able to tell it's a graphic or if it's real here's uh here's another shot here i'm going to cut to it here so we'll have um uh we'll, so you want to pay attention to i i you know a lot of the sweepers I love reproduce. That was one of the first things I did was reproduce sweepers, and I pay a lot of attention to them or stingers, or however you want to call it. So what you're seeing here is a white, or a change in not maybe probably not a white, but it's a change in you know, slowly fading in elements. And the thing you want to pay attention, the little things. I mean, obviously there's the white; it's wiping across. But look at the organic movement of the lines and how they, you know, they're they're basically you know kind of building up. Um, a, a kind of an overexposure and then fading out, um, and it—you can see that kind of that kind of build up there. And then also look at the NBC logo and how it—it's look at how the play, there's like a playfulness to it. The 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 things bouncing. So when they bounce up, they kind of bounce. You know, they kind of have a little stretchiness to them um, to make that actually happen. And then then they get wiped out here, and you'll see that that you'll see. And I don't know if it actually wiped that way or whether that's, a, you know, it could be a compression issue too, because that's a really weird wipe. That looks that. like a mistake. Yeah, it looks like a mistake there. It doesn't look like it's a mistake. I mean, it looks like they did it though. It's, yeah, that's a, that doesn't look like it maybe should have been there. Um, anyway, so, uh, and you'll see little things like that, little glitches here and there. And I think that, that actually might be a rendering glitch right there. Anyway, and then it pops off so this is a super source that they're using for this this is the you know next gen aws is i think they do this in a lot of things the thing to look at is also like i like to look when i look at super sources i look at a lot of the backgrounds um you know that are there so if we look at this one kind of play you know all they're doing is is um they've got a bunch of tri <laughs> a bunch of triangles that are all you know 3d triangles that are all kind of flowing back and forth probably some kind of and there's a rendering error right there so you watch this i think hold on uh, it's not a rendering error. It's just the two that see those two in the upper right kind of do this weird thing where they they stick together there and then and then it's just that they're passing by. So it just looks it's like I would have probably fixed. I would have done something different there. See how it, that highlight just goes that it suddenly just you know it catches your eye. So anyway, um, but the uh, it looks really nice and it doesn't distract you from the. Uh, from the foreground, um, you know, to, you know, in, in, in there, it's just kind of, and that's what you want to do is this kind of slow moving. That's probably on the outer edge of the speed at which you want to go. Also notice that, you know, this stuff is in some focus, 
and it fades out. So that gives you that dimensionality of it, of it being, you know, the focus is really right here with a, you know, with it fading out in distance in the 3D. I'm not a big fan of the making the edges uh, look rough, you know, here, like the rough highlight thing feels like they're trying too hard. They do that in a couple of different places. And I, I feel like that. And then there's even graphics inside of the graphics. So you have the 3D tracked ones that are there and you can see it, you know, kind of, you know, semi-tracked. Now this is all pre-recorded. That's a full, that's a full AWS commercial. And yeah. it's playing simultaneously with the playback. I'm wondering if AWS, if, do they charge less if they have to share screen time? With no, the, they actually charge more for that. Wow. And the, re, the reason for that is because your chan the chances of someone watching it is much higher than if it was in a commercial break. So, um, so it's actually a, now you'll notice here, so, so notice this, this is the, we're not animating the, uh, in, in this case, just a little note here, uh, we're not, um, this is a DVE animation. It's not a, an animation of the super source. And you know that because see, see how suddenly they just go and we're done. So see how this, this 2d plate, the 2d video animates over every it just closes it up it's, it, it happens really quickly but people like me will notice like oh they did a dve there they didn't do they didn't animate this up to make it because that's a lot harder <laughs> like if they did it if, if this if this screen if these edges animated up with this I, you know people like me would go like whoa <laughs> they're not messing around now you know you know so so um but, but that's a dve animation there uh let's go to the next question Oh, go, Mitchell. Did you want to say something before we go to that? Yeah, time? just uh, just an observation. I don't watch a lot of uh, sports, but what's what's interesting about what you're showing us here, Alex, is that the combination of different things that are playing together very nice to create a very rich uh, yeah. presentation. Uh, 3D graphics by themselves are very static. They don't uh, they don't feel right. They they they're unworldly. But when you start adding uh, optical shadings and colorations and particle systems yeah. all of a sudden they just and, take on a whole new life and i'm very interested in how they're they're taking basic 3d stuff and layering on these things like whether they're drawing the outline yeah. or they're adding some sparkles to uh to do it that's uh that's very very sophisticated and you know one way again when you look at these uh these graphics you what you're seeing is a, millions and millions and millions of dollars being spent on these like you know maybe five or ten million dollars being spent on a look uh maybe more like it, it is like because you have to remember that a football if you count all the salaries of the players that are on the ground a football every football game is like a 50 million dollar operation you know like every game is is expensive the same thing with soccer uh or football um you know is that that you know when you count the salaries everyone's spending a lot of money on this and so um so you, you know it it is worth uh paying attention to it because you really get to see what happens when you have, you know, art directors that really are paying attention to all these details. You may not agree with all their decisions, but it's a big investment and it's worth learning from. We always want to learn from, from folks, um, you know, that are, that have more money, money than us. <laughs> because what I did learn is as an individual computer graphics artist using After Effects and Electric Image and Form Z, I could build something that looked almost identical. And as I did that, as I copied it, like ChatGPT, like, like Midjourney, but as I copied it, like pixel for pixel, it improved my ability to see it. It improved my ability to do the next one. When someone came to me, all these little tricks that I had figured out by copying it were stuff that I added to other people's graphics, you know, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily do it verbatim. But I want that little flurry or something like pumping a little bit before it pops open 
you know, I learned how to do that. Now it's not something that I got to figure out when I'm getting paid to do it. I'm just like, oh, I can, I know, I know the keyframes to make that actually work. Next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael. What software would be useful to learn to develop one's real-time graphic skills? Would Blender and Unreal Engine be a solid start? Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, to, to reproduce what we're seeing here, um, I don't think most of the people in the industry would be using Blender. I think they're using purpose-built stuff for sporting events. But the observation I want to make based on your question here, Douglas, is that um, if I were to approach trying to do something myself, and I have no experience doing it for sporting events, um, I generally have a client say, I want something that looks like that on a sporting event. And then I would recreate it. And I would recreate it using After Effects for the layers and compositing uh, Cinema 4D for the uh, the 3D effects and maybe some particle um, effects just to add something. Because those seems to be the three main things here I'm seeing yeah. over and over again. Uh, Unreal Engine, that's a, that's a whole different ballgame. And I would add that on at a different layer at a different point. But for these graphics, I think uh, Cinema 4D, After Effects, and maybe some particle yeah, system. I think there's another question about that next, uh, Doug. Yeah, this question does kind of relate to the next question, but um, yeah, just like what Alex said, like just I've literally been watching a game. We'll hit pause, go up to to the screen with my camera, take a picture of it, email it to myself, and then to go try to recreate it. You know, um, drives my wife crazy when I pause TV, but uh, it's just Photoshop is what I use the most. It's just you know, and building like how to build, you know, all that that score bug for NBC, like like Alex says, like there's so much in that. It's it would it takes forever to figure that stuff out, but once you do and you get the hang of it, like if you are into these type of graphics and things, like I do that all the time. I just if something looks cool, I will go and grab it and recreate it. Uh, yeah. And it really is, if you're trying to get into the industry, copying things that you see is a really useful way because you think that you understand, oh, I know how to do that. I would go into After Effects or I would go into Blender and do whatever. Okay, do it. <laughs> do it. Like, like, And then you'll have a whole different respect for the graphics that you're looking at as well because, you know, I, you know, thought things looked really simple until I actually tried to reproduce them and I was like, okay, that's really hard. Go ahead, Courtney. I wondered if you'd tried uh, using Midjourney to create lower third graphics. Uh, I haven't for sports. See what it would come up with because it can. It has all that stuff scraped in there, and I wondered, you know, if it could come up with something creative. This is all the text would be all garbly cooked. You know, like it would be. Well, like you can replace that. You yeah, know, yeah, that exactly. on a separate layer or something. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You could do. You could. You could do lower thirds in the style of Rembrandt and just get some. <laughs> Or steampunk lower thirds in the style of Rembrandt or or something like that could be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So the um, uh, and and the thing to notice though is that most of it isn't very complicated. It's just really well done. You know, like that's the thing is that most graphics that you see in live graphics or not are simply just exceptionally executed. Um, Unreal Engine right now. We'll show some stuff I think a little bit later that might incorporate some Unreal Engine. The uh, the biggest problem that I have with Unreal Engine right now is that it doesn't anti-alias very well. So you end up with, um, when you see it in like the quote-unquote AR um, graphics that you see there, which I will show before the end of the hour, um, it oftentimes you see a little bit of sizzling along the edges. This is one of those red pill things. I apologize. I just told you this because you're going to notice it in a bunch as we go forward. But the 
you'll see on the edges, you'll see like the little aliasing, like a little bit of sizzling, like a little moving down it. Um, and that's because the it's not oversampling enough to get rid of the aliasing that goes on on those edges. And it's still, it's getting better and better and better, but uh, that's still been a problem with real-time graphics and Unreal. We went down the path of thinking I was going to build an engine that was going to do Unreal all the time. I couldn't get rid of that cost-effectively, and so we stopped using Unreal for for real-time stuff, for our graphics, because we couldn't solve the anti-aliasing problem. Yeah, go ahead, Sky. Well, I'm also a user of templates, and because I will take bits and pieces of these templates that you can buy that are often used initially in After Effects, but now Motion has a lot of them built in there, and again... You can just use whatever you want if you're uh, that they've already given you. But what's fun is you can deconstruct them and use the bits and pieces, and also learn from somebody that's done some of that, as you say, that animation of the little stretchy, little squiggly thing of animation. Right. Well, and and I think that the um, the interesting thing there is that um, especially the interaction with motion and um, Final Cut is that you can go in, you can build uh, a motion. And this is what this is what Alex Goldner has shown us in labs in the past is you can go in there and build a um a a very careful um uh animation all the little moves and all the little things you want and then export that basically as a as just a, a title inside of final cut you open it up and the editor only has to just change the words you know and it'll look it'll do all the pretty things that it needed to do and that's how this graphics are working too i think i don't know whether i think that they're either chiron or vizrt are the two you know the two big ones that i see the most in these kind of broadcast graphics and um, for the lower third areas, and then um, for the, um, you know, for the uh, other areas, it can be a lot of a lot of different things, you know, as you as you go through it. Um, but I think that those are those are the two big ones, and those are all pre-built. So these are all all those graphics you see are being, you know, they're talking to a database and or talking to live information and inserting those in real time as they as they go through and build those behaviors. I know that a friend of mine used to work on the Fox Sports uh, graphics. And when Fox Sports hit the new graphics, they, when Fox Sports did their new graphics, that was when we suddenly saw um, real design. And this was probably in the aughts, you know, in the 2002, three, four, Fox Sports wanted to make a big splash. And they got in and they started doing these really high-end graphics. And, and a friend of mine, I might try to bring him on. Corey would be fun to bring on. So worked on those. And they those were all done in, in BizRT. You know, and they and what's interesting was is they went from, as I remember it, he had, you know, they built it all in BizRT. And then ESPN wanted to just rent them. They just want, or Fox, or Fox and then ESPN and others wanted to rent the BizRT. And before he knew it, he had to he was making as much money renting BizRT with operators. I think they had like 20-some or more. VizRT units to, to use in there. But what VizRT allowed them to do is have all these 3D graphics, have it all driven dynamically, you know, and it was, they were really the first ones to do a lot of that. Go ahead, Mitchell. I'd like to see us bring Chris Sabato in, who's a friend of After uh, Hours, and show what he does. He's one guy, and he runs these sports programs that have graphics that mm -hmm. maybe they're not exactly as good as this stuff, but they're darn close, and it's yeah. all back. Uh, he's he's written all the programs that talks to the scoreboard, that talks to the databases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he really does have quite a nice setup in the way he's done it. Um, and it's it's very interesting because he's not using high-end products to make that happen. Yep. He's using off-the-shelf stuff. Yeah, we're definitely... So we're definitely going to uh, have folks that are kind of figuring this stuff out on the show um, in the not-too-distant future. So we're, we're looking at that for some of these uh, Tuesdays. Uh, let's go to the next question. Eduardo Augustine from Panama. Which tools can we use to get started with these type of graphics? Go ahead, Doug. 
Well, I'll just do a little brief history of my um, start in this. Um, when I started to really take on like sports graphics, um, Jeff Keithley, I think many of you know him, um, he turned me on to a software called CharacterWorks. And it's a lot, it's it's an affordable way to get into really doing sports graphics. Um, and in sports, it's not just the game. I mean, we're storytellers in sports. There's a story to be told. And a lot of that happens through the graphics. So I... I love graphics and I pay a lot of attention to the detail of, of what, what they're doing. And, and then I recreate things, but using that character works, um, like I would start in Photoshop and build the elements and then I would import them into character works. And then I would build the animations of the boxes coming in and the words fading up or, or doing whatever moves I do. And to sky's earlier point, um, Templates are a really good, good way to go into things because I buy templates all the time, but I've never used one just out of the gate. I've always had to change something in it. So you got to dig deep into what, you know, how was it built? And then, you know, reverse engineer, like, okay, that did this, this layers on top of that, this moves in here, you know, and, and so, but, and then now I have, gotten to the level where character works is even though it's a really really powerful program and can be data driven and i got a box that talks to a box and brings the data in but right back here um, i have a 4ru expression um, because when you're going up to the next level and I, I work with some schools some colleges that espn gives you the graphics package like here you will use our package for this show and all you got to do is just change the players names the coaches names or feed it a different spreadsheet but for me to do that i had to buy an expression which you know you're talking twenty five hundred dollars for character works forty thousand for expression although i found my expression used and cheap and I really got a good deal <laughs> on my expression. And really, to be yeah. straight up, uh, this 4RU unit back here, even though it has the pretty logo on it, and I don't use that computer. I have a I have a much powerful computer in my truck, and all I need is, is the little dongle. That's right. the license key. So I, I open the software up with that. Um, but, you know, and two, like, reach out to people. I, I guess I, I'm actually figuring out transitioning some of my old clients graphics from characterworks to expression. And I'm, I'm a newbie right now. So I'm really, and today I'm trying to get the data to work with a, with a Google sheet with, um, mm -hmm. with the expression. And it's just a process, but you know, like like we all do in, in any part of this media thing, you're constantly learning. And that's what's fun about this industry. It's like once you figure out something, like, oh, guess what? Something more cool is coming and I gotta learn some AI, whatever, this and that. And mm -hmm. but I love it. So go ahead, Mitch, real quick. I'm a uh, Adobe fanboy, as you folks know, and I've been using Adobe After Effects since it was COSUTS. That's a long time. And what's interesting about it is that the program has evolved, along with me, to allow 3D 
uh, lighting, things that uh, we come to expect from high-end 3D programs. So what I what I've used moving forward, and I recommend it as a good starting point, is that there are easy ways to cheat your 3D graphics using a thing called Element 3D by bringing in outside OBJ uh, files and animating them and moving them and lighting them. Um, it's a it's a good starting point to get. And then when you get good enough, Cinema 4D will work fine with uh, After Effects. And then there are particular uh, particle animation. You can do pretty much everything you just saw if you have the time and the inclination. Yeah, so the dynamic part is the hardest part, you know, if you're, if you're doing those things. So there's a couple stair steps that you want to kind of think about. One is, uh, the first thing that you want to think about is just doing great stills. Um, you know, so great still animate, you know, you know, this is the good ball handling skills. Build nice, nicely designed 2D graphics that just look really pretty and you fade them on, fade them off. You can DBE them on, like have them swing in, swing out. Those are all things that are, you know, just Photoshop or Affinity. I actually use, for most of my 3D, gra- most of my 2D graphics that are stills, I use Affinity Photo. And Affinity Photo, the whole suite right now, I think until for the next day or two, is like $99. And it's like the designer and photo and all these other things. And so, um, but I paid, I don't know, $25, $30 for it. And I just use that. And I'm mostly because I, I still have Photoshop, but I keep on wanting to not... Uh, not pay for that subscription <laughs> so so i so I, I i just i sit there and i try to do it in affinity and i've been using photoshop since 1991 so i've you know for over 30 years now and so if i need to i just go into it and fix it and then go back but i'm always and, and then i send angry things to affinity like i couldn't do it because of the blah, blah, blah. so anyway the um uh so that's what I use there. Building good stills, is, and you still look at all these graphics, and even if they're moving and you're not moving, you can build a nice still that looks amazing, and your clients are going to think it's great. You know, just to fade it in, fade it out. You can load it into your ATEM. You can load it into any graphic that you want with as a, you know, with a, you know, with an alpha channel, with a TGA or ping or whatever. Um, TGA for black magic, <laughs> not pings if you can avoid it because it has edge issue, curve edge issues. Um, the next step, how I got started is from those, going from those stills to the next thing, I actually was using Keynote. So Keynote will play out and, you know, I would play that out to um, play my little animations out, out of Keynote. And, um, and I literally had a green background and I would put the little graphics on and we had ones for Salesforce that were like all animated and everything else that so they were all built and whatever they were built, they're delivered to us, drop them over with an alpha channel over top of it in Keynote. Then we would hit play on Keynote and those little things would animate out. Now we had in the Panasonic 450, we had a Primat keyer so we could get really detailed keys out of it um, to make that work. Um, the problem you get into is you get a little bit of aliasing because it's 422 going in. So, but Keynote, we did a lot of stuff with just Luma keys and Keynote. I could probably get pretty close to the look, quote unquote, look that you're seeing, you know, here. When I sh- show this, I could probably get that bottom one. I could probably get most of those things to work in Keynote. <laughs> you know, like with a little bit of work, I could do it. But that's, I did a solid two or three years of, of production with Keynote on a Luma, Luma key. And I just knew what I, you know, again, I knew what I could do. And this gets back to what we talked about earlier in the first hour of, you know, if you do it, you better get it right because people will be like, that's weird. <laughs> you know, and so, uh, but but we definitely did it. It definitely worked. Um, there are limitations of when you can play it back and how you play it back and everything else. But it's now we're, we're still talking about an investment, being able to do a lot of graphics with an investment of like $30. You know, like, I mean, Keynote's free. And what I'm talking about with like doing some, having something to edit the uh, the video. 
Um, you know, so those are the things that you can start with. And then I would, you know, especially being looking at cost effectiveness, motion is $50. It's the most, it's the best ROI on any investment of any piece of software I've ever seen. It's $50 for motion. Um, you can do, it's got 3D text. It's got all kinds of other things. You can build them. Now, all of those are still going to render out. You need to render them out. And then you need to figure out how you're going to play them back into your system. And, and you need to figure out how you're going to key it. So those are all still part of that, that little world. Um, as you move forward, a lot of stuff's done in After Effects. Um, so that's that's another, you know, that's definitely a mainstay, you know, in that area. Um, there are, then you start to, you know, um, uh, you know, you have on the air, you know, there's a uh, CG character design uh, system that is, that we use from Softron that does lower thirds and loads, loads it up. Remember that SPX is free. So what we use, the graphics, the lower thirds that we use here, if you want to start designing those, and those can be dynamic, they can be animated, they can be in Tuomo, who is in our in our community. So if you have questions, we should really do another lab on on SPX, um, you know, with Tuomo. But those are free. Like you can literally do that. And if you get a PC, you can run Casper, and that's what we do. We key fill out. Um, so that's a free graphic system, uh, and it was Casper was designed that way so that I think by the Swedish government or whatever to make it open source so that they could build their. I, I believe that that's the case. Tuomo may correct me. But the, um, it was, so that's a free system and all you need is the hardware to play that stuff out. And we're grabbing all the names. We're grabbing all those things that, that we need dynamically. Uh, we can make them a lot more complicated. We choose to go simple, but Tuomo can make them very complicated. If you looked at the rocket launch, um, the, uh, that rocket launch, all those graphics were, were coming out of SPX, which again is a free one. Now what you have to pay for is if you need Tuomo to build something for you, you pay for, you pay him for that. Um, but, but you want to, uh, you know, I think that those would be great places to get started and you could do a lot of damage without spending, like I've just sunk you for a hundred dollars, <laughs> you know, like to end time, uh, to make that actually work. Maybe the hardware to, to do the playouts. And so, uh, so that that's where you can get started there. The bigger the bigger games, of course, are almost all the 3D graphics that you see get started in Cinema 4D. Like that's that's what's being used right now for most 3D graphics for broadcast. Um, that's the, that's kind of the standard. Um, there are some, some people playing with Blender, but I haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen any graphics that actually made it to air. Um, now there may be. I'm sure there are. I just haven't seen them. <laughs> so so I, that's all. You know. So a lot of them start there as far as how they're generated some of the higher end generation for some of the big systems like VizRT. i think there is some stuff that's tied into maya um to to make that actually work so those are the, some of the 3d systems of course expressions is a very popular one it's considered actually cost effective i know doug said it's forty five thousand, but that's where these these systems start i think the VizRTs i think started like eighty thousand or something like that yeah they're um, about 80 yeah so there so those get you know things get real expensive real quick you know um in those areas but there are you know, a bunch of great ones. And again, I think that I think that Unity and, and Unreal, especially Unreal right now, will probably um, come up and really create a lot of great opportunities. It's just the real-time rendering stuff isn't working great, in my opinion. Like as far as it's the aliasing problem that's there. Let's go to the next question. From Douglas Carmichael, um, how would they create the subtle 3D effects in the MBC lower third? Would that be done with careful modeling in Unreal Engine or similar? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Very likely After Effects, um, an Unreal Engine would be way bit too big a tool to apply to something like this. Uh, I'd be surprised if After Effects was used in the in, in any of the graphics that we're seeing here today because it's real time, you know, and so it, prob it probably wouldn't be used at all. 
Um, these are all dynamic moves, and so these are all built into the Chiron, um, you know, or into the into the um, into the system, so that they're all those all those movements and everything else are all dynamic, and they're all set up as elements. It's my understanding, anyway. Um, uh, but those are all set up as individual elements, and so all of it's running in a real time system. So, if you're doing stuff for post that you're going to put that in, then then a lot of that stuff makes sense. But in general, um, the when you see that. Um, uh, when you see those those graphics, all of these graphics are being created by a real-time engine. Uh, next question. Next question from John Tenhouse in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Are the graphics edited on the fly, like with Adobe After Effects NDI setup, or is there a completely different system that is being used? Go ahead, Doug. It, it depends on what graphics you're, you're playing out. Um, most graphics are already pre-built. Um, but like like I was mentioning, the ESPN package that, that they send us, um, it's their templates, and you just change the text that's on top of them. And then all the moves and animations are already built the way that those words can just be be animated in. But um, but yeah, most graphics are pre-built and then played out. And two in a caveat to that, that there are two types of graphic people in this world as well. There are the creators, the ones that actually create those templates. But then a lot of the times on these TV trucks, you just, you are just playing out graphics. In fact, the reason I had a day off today, I was supposed to be running expression graphics for a G League basketball game, but the away team travel problems and the game got canceled. Um, so a lot of the times you're just a play out person. You're not actually creating the graphics. You just call them up when the director call, you know, calls for a graphic. Yeah. And I will say that a lot of the design work oftentimes happens in After Effects because their designers are After Effects users. And so that what it's going to look like oftentimes gets sourced in After Effects, but none of that actually makes it to the, it's just, it's really fast for them to figure out what they want and then they hand it off and then it gets broken up. Because what you want to do is you want to try to get through the design process as lightly as possible and then move into that. Um, let's go, and I'm going to show you one more thing here before we go to the top of the hour. We'll try to answer a couple of questions. I know we started late, so we'll go a little late. Um, now let's see here. So this is, uh, this is the halftime highlights here. Um, lots of graphics there. Um, the, uh, this is a helicopter shot typically. Um, so this is the, some of the real time stuff. And actually this looks pretty good as far as, um, but one, one of the things you'll notice, uh, is this is a hard thing to do and it, they're doing it in real time with a real camera. Um, and a couple things that that kind you know you'll you'll notice that the tracking isn't perfect. Um, so you'll see now this is a you know this is a hard thing to do. So I'm going to be be fair <laughs> in that area. Um, but the um, but it is it is there now. These are I believe these are going to be 3D characters. I don't know why. I guess the cowboys have a horse. The, the only thing I will say is that the the level of detail on these guys and the horse and the ship. These look like they were bought out of Turbo Squid, and no one actually worked on the on the um, uh, on the lighting at all. <laughs> like they just look like we bought them on Turbo Squid and threw them in there, and maybe we changed the sails, you know, the texture on the sails. So I, I feel like that didn't that didn't turn out too well. Um, Describe for, Turbo Squid real quick. Oh, Turbo Squid is where we buy a lot of like uh, it's like it's like iStock Photo for three D models, and so Turbo Squid is. Uh, where we buy a lot of models, but I bet you we could probably find these models on Turbo Squid. You know, like, 
know, because they look so bad. <laughs> anyway, so, um, uh, you know, but this is tracking this in. This is a real-time graphic. I don't know what they're using, you know, in this case, um, you know, for this, but it's, uh, but it is an interesting thing. The other thing I will say, and I'll try to find it in the, I will say that while I like the MBC graphics, I think this background shot looks better. I actually, I'm not certain, but I think that this is a green screen. So I think they're in front of green screen and they have this background here. And one of the reasons I think this is because when we look at the NBC one, the NBC one has all kinds of aliasing and Marae and this one doesn't. So one of the things you'll notice here is these guys are talking and yeah, his, if you look at his, the motion blur in his hand, see how it's a little chopped off? I think that this is green. So I think yeah, he's you're got, right, you're right, Alex. And also look at the color of their hair; they're getting spill in there. Yeah. So I think this is a green screen. They're standing probably right in front of a green screen, and then they put the graphic behind it. I I will say that I prefer that. Uh, let me see if I can find. Uh, I had some error with that one. Um, there is a there's a shot that I grabbed from here that had. Let's see if I. All of these had a reason. Of course, I always think I'm going to show a lot more footage and then we end up just going, and we're done. Um, there's, let's see here, this is, there's a little divider, um, more dividers. Um, this was kind of a nice little graphic of those kind of coming together, but I don't think we have time to dig, dig into that too deeply. Yeah, I'm not sure what I, I think I lost it in that corrupted file, but the, um, uh, but yeah, so the, I feel like the, the backgrounds that are using LED walls all I see is Marae and aliasing. Maybe evidently not everybody sees that. But all I can see is this little, this subtle Marae and and the and the aliasing that goes on in front of it. And I think that they do better um, with the with the green screen. Go ahead, Courtney. Oh, next question. Sorry, and then we'll go to Courtney. Next question in from I Bob Sturdivant in yeah. San Antonio. Bob asks: With the increase in larger TVs and higher resolutions, how might graphics change to take advantage of these increases? Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, they no longer protect four by three. I don't think uh, for all those people that are stuck in the analog world of television, and Title Safe is now a thing of the past. I think they can actually take titles out to the edges, um, and um, uh, eight hundred by six hundred is is no longer even protected. So every, they're assuming that everyone has at least seven twenty p and uh, and above for the uh, resolution of the titles and the fonts that are used. So they can use that two point. Uh, text two-point uh, font on the bottom for all those disclaimers that are running that telling you, you know, don't drive this car like we did. Yeah, the um, and and by the way, uh, Bo, let us know that the ESPN AR shot was done in Cinema 4D and executed in 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 Viz Viz RT, um, and uh, also was tracked with a Skycam using a Track TrackMan Vio Track uh, TTL software. <laughs> so there you go. There, there's your there's your uh, specific answer for 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 this. Um, the um, uh, yeah, the, the other thing that, that I think that the larger resolution, we've seen tests of this. I haven't seen it in the, in the wild is allowing for, if, if you have an 8k screen, I can show you 4k in one part of it and give you a bunch of other data. And it, it's all, it all holds up. Like if you have a really large 8k screen, there's a bunch of things I can add to it that aren't, and then I can just hit it and it goes back and then it zooms up. And you see a little bit of that with MLB and their streams. Um, where you can you can see more data and then you can pop back up to it. Um, so some of those interactive elements uh, at higher resolution are going to be interesting. Now, next question. Courtney Gooden from Hollywood, California. What is your opinion on the use of artificial digital breakup being used as a graphic style in on-screen graphics and transitions? Go ahead, Courtney. 
Yeah, this drives me nuts. It's a pet peeve of mine where they use digital block errors, you know, as a transition style. NFL uses it for their, this is an NFL film and you can't, you can't, uh, their announcement that you can't use their footage is like just completely destroyed. Um, No part of this production may, yeah. Right. But it's, it, they use exactly what Courtney's doing and it's, it's, I you can never tell. What, is there VCR? You know, is there play out uh, yeah, having a connection problem, or did they design it that way? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I I prefer to make graphics that don't look like mistakes. Um, that's yeah. that. But that's I, that's that's my that's my. I'm, I might well, be old. Now they're going back to anal, you know, a VHS track head tracking errors that are laid in over digital stuff. Yeah. Um, I have to say, by the way, I finally got all my computers lined up. I, you're not going to see this, but. I am seamlessly moving my mouse. I didn't, I just did it by accident. I suddenly realized I wasn't switching my, uh, my, my, uh, controller. I was just moving my mouse from computer to computer as I, as I went. Anyway, it's just very fascinating. Uh, yeah, go Mitchell real quick. Yeah. Uh, Courtney brings up a good point because what, what we used to consider to be flaws like flares and things like that are, are in, and this is just part of that same, uh, genre of special effects or grunge that uh, that people like to use. Next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael. How would they feed the graphics into the Switcher production infrastructure? Being mostly familiar with the NDI HDMI world, I haven't had to deal with SDI and key fill yet. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, when I started doing um, graphics in sports, I was on a TriCaster in CharacterWorks which again, it's it's a good good entry level program, and see Jeff Keithley about that. But it does both. It does NDI input, and then it also does the SDI traditional, which is the key fill. Um, and the key fill is like one channel cuts the video out, and then the second channel of the fill fills it with whatever's cut. So that's what key fill is. It, you could spend a whole hour on that, um, yeah, I- but <laughs> um, but now um, the expression does nothing but uh, key fill. Uh, so I use both programs still uh, today because sometimes it's just easier to pull up last year's project and change a few things and do it. But um, I'm I'm painfully going through the process of the of switching to the expression. Um, but but it's a good learning tool. Yeah, and I. I think my thing is I prefer SDI over other things, mostly because I just want it to be synced and uncompressed. You know, so everything fed to it is going uncompressed. Uh, Next question. Douglas Carmichael again. Uh, How did they create the stream of text behind the football? Wouldn't particle systems be only shaped primitives, not extruded text? Uh the oh, I think that you're talking about the streams of text that were behind the football for the AWS, um, you know, ad. Yeah, I was looking at that the other. Um, the other a moment ago. Let's see if I can. Um, you can you can treat create particles out of anything. It can be text. It's not a problem. yeah yeah exactly. Those are just it was um, probably just generated that way. I mean, it was just there. You you have a particle system and you just tell it you want you want text you know for that to be uh, for that to go out and it will definitely. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can find that really fast and I'm having a hard time getting to that individual. Um, let me see one more try, and then we're going to give up here. Let's see if I go to. My, my guess is, yes, they're using that as a design element because it's yeah. talking and about culminating a lot of information, which, again, is representative by, by letters and numbers. 
yeah and and, and it is a uh, it that is pre-rendered so um you know that's so that that's not a, that's a different different setup so you can definitely render all of that out. that was probably rendered out of cinema 40 you know, and composited in after effects that'd be my guess uh next question Douglas Carmichael again for our last question. Could you conceivably use Reality Scan or a similar tool to bring a real horse or boat into the scene quickly? Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was going to ask you on that scene you had with the the uh, two players and the horse and the boat. The players were moving. Do you think that was just a video that was on a 3D card or do you think they actually captured volumetric video of those players and the perspective was changing as the I think they camera built 3D, moved horizontally. I think they built a 3D model of those character those characters and did motion capture and applied it to the characters just standing around motion. They could have probably hand animated it. I wouldn't because it's much hard. It's so hard. The hardest thing that in my opinion to animate is um, someone not doing anything. It's really easy to animate it when they're doing big moves. It's harder when they're just standing there, just kind of hanging out. It's much easier to capture. It's it's actually an easy thing for the motion capture to capture because there's not a lot of occlusion or movement or high 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 frequency changes. Um, and it, so it's really easy for motion capture to do and really hard for an animator to get right. And so typically they wouldn't do volumetric. They would probably just have, and they probably didn't even have those those players stand there. They probably just. So you think that's a 3D model and not actually video capture? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, th- those are those are 3D models of those care of those folks. It's relatively easy once you get it set up. They didn't look like they. It didn't look like there was enough detail. And I don't even think we saw their face. You know, like there was. Um, I'd have to jump back to it here. Now the mouse is. They're tossing the ball back and forth between their hands. But that's that's all stuff that's you know relatively. Um, let's let's take a look. Let's take one more look at it here. Um, yeah. So what they yeah, there's a couple little tricks here. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let's um let's jump to this. So if you look at this here, um, and we watch it, they're just kind of throwing it back and forth. Yeah, they're 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 not looking at you. Um, and they have visors on, and that's that's kind of a it's a really quick way to have it look great. But they're not going to show you, um, you know, the visors are going to keep you away from looking straight into their eyes. Um, there's not any major motion there. It doesn't, yeah. So I I do think that's a three D model. I think, and if you look at the action of throwing the football back and forth, it may be the same model that they just changed the yeah, jersey. It's identi- identical, Courtney. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's so it's just these are probably stock animations that they well, not stock animations, but they probably shot a bunch. They they might, they might have shot a couple, but all they have to do is change the and the, the you know they you change the number. I'm sure that you know changing the textures and numbers and everything else are pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, so it's just a it's a CG model there that that does that, um, and they probably can just line it up and just give me these two. It's probably just for the quarterbacks, <laughs> you know. So you know, so the uh, but but you can see this is what we're going to see more and more and more of. I mean, and I for some reason I couldn't find it easily on the NBC ones, but I know NBC does, of course, the AR stuff as well. Um, and um, the uh, uh, but yeah, so I but you're going to see more and more of these kind of AR overlays, you know, related to it. And what the crazy thing is is that eventually you're going to see it when you put your own cockles on. <laughs> you're going to put it up there. And you're going to see a bunch of uh, overlap um, there. So. Um, yeah, so, but, but yeah, you can do that and you can do, you can do CG. So there's, uh, you know, like 2K captures the scans of the basketball players for 2K sports. And they actually, you know, when you're showing folks, um, and there is something to be argued and Bo was talking about that they captured the actual characters, um, you know, the actual players for some of this stuff. Um, the, what I will say is that you, it, I can look at just the 
like when we used to do a lot of motion capture, I could look at the balls moving around and like just there's like 50, 57, 59 uh, markers that are on the, on the person. And I could, I could look at the markers walking and tell you between two different people, like, oh, I know that's, that's this person or that's that person. Um, And, and I, you know, it, it does make a difference to have the person do the capture because um, they have a certain way of walking and standing and we subconsciously will see all of that, you know? So um, I don't think they did that here, but, but I, it does sound like it has been done in the past. All right. Well, we got through about 10% of what I captured <laughs> and, and answered. One thing that I wanted to do and that we did differently from the graphics in the past is, um, is that I wanted to make sure that uh, we answered questions throughout because we did this thing the last time, or the last couple times we've done it, we we would talk about it and then we get to the end and there's like 30 questions left. So we, we're kind of breaking it up a little bit. We don't get to quite as many of the examples, but we'll keep on looking at this stuff. If there's things you think we should look at, we're going to, the other ones are going to be more basic. Um, uh, if there's enough people that want to see FIFA, I'm happy to do that. I just, I, I wasn't sure um, that, you know, and, and I wasn't as conscious to it. The, um, uh, but we'll be talking about super sources, lower thirds, sweepers as separate shows in the in the upcoming year to kind of keep on paying attention to what is happening in news and what's happening in sports and what's happening in a lot of other things. So, um, so that's. Um, but if you see good examples, let us know, um, and uh, uh, you know, and we'll we'll keep on doing these because I think it's important for us to understand it for our own shows what the current like what people think is cool because a lot of times we, you know, if we don't do that. Uh, we, 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 um, uh, it, it may look, it makes us, our shows look small. Like when you, you have to pay attention to broadcast graphics, you don't have to reproduce it, but you have to know what is looking cool at the moment so that your stuff looks good. If you're, if you're adding those things, thanks so much to the producers for all the great questions and keeping this all going. And uh, thanks to the, thanks to the panelists. We can't do this without you. Great conversation. And thanks to the incredible team on the back end making all this happen every single day. Um, come rain or come shine, uh, seven days a week, amazing. So we appreciate all, all of your hard work uh, to make all of this ha- stuff happen. And um, you know, we'll see you again tomorrow because that's what we do. Uh, the uh, Tlaloc Traversal, uh, 69,000 miles, uh, 111,000 kilometers, 625 million bananas and i'll guess about 300 million minions um you know for the distance that we covered there um so uh, so that's uh, pretty uh, a lot of fun and uh now we're going to jump into after hours we're talking about wireless tomorrow i meant to say that wireless uh it's going to be amazing if you have questions tomorrow wireless wireless audio tomorrow is the day Gary Trenda from Sound of Can we do it all whispering? No, we can't. This only it sounds about the same. Mitchell, I know you love I know you love whispering. But but you can't do it for the whole show. We can only do it underneath underneath the graphics. You can't You don't need a cloud lifter for whispering. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry a about banana that. jumping is really never pretty. Great to see Doug here. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, Doc. Good one. See you, Sky. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>